You're listening to the awesome Podcast Network. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Your time has come. A storm is coming. Our storm. And when it arrives, it will shake the universe. Emperor! We come for you! Man, this Twin Peaks reboot is fucking weird! Hello, everybody. Welcome back after our week off to prepare for this David Lynch Dune-sized episode to talk about David Lynch's Dune. Of course, a new movie's coming out end of October, finally. We'll get more on that at the end of this uh, when we get there in a few hours. Hopefully less, but uh, we'll see what happens. Anyway, welcome back to 80s Revisited. I'm your host, Trey Harris. With me as always, my loyal producer, my Benny Jesserit producer, teacher of the weirding way, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. This is one I've been wanting to do for a very long time. Uh, full disclosure, I'm a David Lynch fanboy, apologist, etc., etc. Big David Lynch fan. But also a Dune fan as far as this movie goes, so it is going to be a little, a wee bit biased as I'm talking about this one. But let's let's just go ahead and just dive head out into this uh, disaster piece of a Lynch movie. Uh, David Lynch's Dune released December 14th, 1984, IMDb 6.4, Rotten Tomatoes, 50% uh, critics, 66% audience. And again, another very close congruence between the IMDb score and the audience and the audience score. Between IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, budget, get this, estimated at $40 million. About $100 million today. Let me put that into perspective for you around the time. Return of the Jedi came out in 83, a year before this. Its budget was $32.5 million. We're going to bring that up, that comparison up a lot. Uh, And because it's very important to the history of this film, actually. Uh, It opened at number six. Uh, Number two was uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, in its second week, Starman was number six in its first week. And Terminator was still playing at the theater, number eight for its eighth week out. Back when movies stayed in theaters longer than, you know, three weeks. Uh, not that I'm complaining for some things. Uh, domestically, would go on to gross $30.9 million. Did not make its money back. Considered a big flop. However, it is today a cult classic to some and a, just a cult film to others directed by the great genius in my opinion david lynch of course twin peaks the elephant man blue velvet eraserhead mulholland drive also written by david lynch based of course on the classic novel by frank herbert uh or a bear as we would say in louisiana although that's not really how he pronounces it uh, of course uh david lynch pretty much writes all of his own stuff the cinematographer in this film was freddie francis great name more of a musician name than a cinematographer name i'd say but he also worked with Lynch on The Elephant Man. He also did Glory, the uh, dramatic turn for Brendan Fraser with School Ties, and also the remake with uh, Scorsese's remake with De Niro of Cape Fear. The music was uh, by Toto <laughs> of <What>? African fame. <laughs> yes, not the dog, but uh, of course the band Africa. And I, I, I wonder this myself. You know, it's the band's called Toto. Where, where there's only one other place in history where that name is mentioned. In culture, predominantly, and obviously it's the Wizard of Oz. So I went down the the Wikipedia rabbit hole for Toto. 
And after the completion of their first album, the band had recorded and were still unnamed. David Hungate, after viewing the name on the demo tapes, explained to the group that the Latin words in toto translated to all-encompassing. All-encompassingly, Mitch Hedberg joke. Because the band members played on so many records and so many musical genres, they adopted the name Toto as their own. So there you go. Whenever you're on Jeopardy, whenever whoever the fuck is hosting it, and they ask you what the where does Toto get their name, it is from the Latin phrase in Toto, not the Wizard of Oz. If they say so otherwise, you challenge that shit. So you learned something today about Toto. You know, there you go. Now, okay, everybody, everybody just sit back, relax with a beverage. The cast list in this film is probably the longest we have ever done on this podcast. So let's just, let's go. Kyle MacLachlan is Paul Atreides' first film. Of course, he would go on to stars, immortalized as uh, Agent Dale Cooper in Twin Peaks, worked again with uh, Lynch in uh, Blue Velvet. He was also in Showgirls, in case you forgot. And most recently, and notably, I would say he's the mayor in Portlandia, which is, he's, a, he's so good in that role. It's perfect for him. Uh, the lovely Francesca Annis is Lady Jessica. She was also in Crawl and with Johnny Depp in The Libertine. Horror legend Brad Dourif is Piter DeVries. He was, of course, the voice of Chucky in Child's Play. Uh, he played in Rob Zombie's maligned, maligned Halloween remakes, or his Halloween series, however you want to put it. And, of course, Deadwood recently. Uh, a Lynchian regular, Everett McGill, was Stilgar. Uh, he was the husband and people under the stairs, and like I mentioned, Twin Peaks, but also the Reverend in Silver Bullet, who, spoiler alert, was a goddamn werewolf. Legendary actor Patrick Stewart is Gurney Halleck, uh, the Josh Brolin role in the remake. Uh, of course, Star Trek The Next Generation, Professor X, Excalibur. I mean, everybody knows Patrick Stewart. Uh, Sean Young, uh, a girl, is Chaney. Uh, Blade Runner, of course, the original, and in case you forgot, she's uh, Ray Finkel in Ace Ventura and has a hell of a case of hemorrhoids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dean Stockwell, another character actor, well-known. You, you've seen him. Uh, he's Dr. Yui. Uh, he was, again, worked with Lynch in Blue Velvet. And, of course, most notably, Quantum Leap. And, strangely enough, Sting. Sting is in this movie as Fade Rautha. Uh, of course, lead singer of The Police, Zoolander 2, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Doesn't do too terrible. But uh, it's Sting. Uh, another, uh, whenever you need a good German character actor, Jurgen Prochnow is Duke Leto Atreides. Uh, he was in the classic, I'd say, Wolfgang Peterson film Das Boot. Uh, of course, Judge Dredd with Stallone, Beverly Hills Cop 2. And he was the villain that uh, Gary Oldman was trying to get released from prison in the 90s horrible visual effects-laden film Air Force One. Get off my plane. Mm-hmm. Although... Harrison Ford still was one of the best presidents, <laughs> film presidents of all time. Let's be honest. Uh, Freddie Jones was Stufer Hallett. He was also in Kroll with uh, just uh, Francesca Anis. Anis, however you pronounce her last name. Anis. Anis. I want to say Anis. So I sound cultured. But he's also in The Elephant Man. So he worked with Lynch before. And also the count, uh, the recent version of The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumbass. Shawshank Redemption. Reference yeah. for those. Don't get uh, Jose Ferrer was the Emperor shot on the fourth. Tons of TV, uh, but he's also the father of Miguel Ferrer, who was Bob Morton in RoboCop, and also worked with Lynch in Twin Peaks. I forget his name. Agent. He was the the really uh, tight laced agent that clashed with uh, the sheriff and Agent Cooper. I cannot remember his name. I can see his face. I can see the scenes. Cannot think of his name. Uh, Linda Hunt. Again, you've seen her before. Character actress. She was Mapes. Most notably, she was the principal in Kindergarten Cop. 
who as a kid said a line that I repeated and got me in trouble. How did it feel to hit that son of a bitch? Uh, she was also in, uh, one of the voices in Pocahontas. I think she was the, the tree, like the, the sage character tree kind of uh, mother willow or something like that. Cannot mother remember the willow. name. Yep. Oh, boom. Uh, and also the relic, the uh, not the recent uh, dementia old person horror film, which is highly recommended by me, but the 90s Tom Sizemore, Penelope Ann Miller, who was also just thought of this in Kindergarten Cop with Linda Hunt. So it was a reunion of sorts for them. Uh, Kenneth McMillan was the Baron Harkonnen. He was also in Cat's Eye and Amadeus. Virginia Madsen, sister of Michael Madsen, of course, mainly Tarantino fame. Uh, Joe Gage. Hateful Eight, to us, Princess Arulan, or Irulan. Uh, there's Dune fanatics who are going to be all over me about how I pronounce some of these names, but I'm pronouncing them how I remember they're pronouncing the Dune movie. So forgive me if it's wrong, because I know some people think it's Harkonnen or Harkonnen. So, you know, go fuck yourself. It's just a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the original, uh, Virginia Madison, Madsen, excuse me, original, the original Candyman, the sequel comes out Friday. Super excited for that. Also in Sideways, which has one of the funniest dick shots in any movie I've ever seen. And the prophecy with, uh, is that the bear one? I think it's, I can't remember if that's a Gabriel, not Gabriel Byrne, uh, shit, Christopher Walken. I can't remember if it's his or another one, but she's in a movie called The Prophecy. There's one about a bear, and then there's one with Christopher Walken. She's in one of them. Richard Jordan is Duncan Idaho. Now, this character, when you're watching this movie, this is the role <laughs> that Jason Momoa is playing in the remake. So, the contrast of these two actors. Uh, he was also in Hunter Red October, Logan's Run, and Gettysburg, the uh, really good Civil War movie that was had a cast about as big as this movie as well. Uh, recently deceased, unfortunately, in the past, I think, was it late last year, maybe, or early this year? But Max von Sydow was Dr. Kynes. He was, of course, mo- mostly known as the old priest in The Exorcist. Since The Exorcist was in the 70s, here's a quick fact. He was made up to be older <laughs> in The Exorcist than he was at that time. So that's why, you know, you see the exorcist in the 70s and like, God, this man's been old forever. <laughs> it was made up in the kind of much like our good hairy chested friend, Wilf- Wilford yeah. Brimley in Cocoon. Uh, he was also in the Stephen King, Ed Harris, uh, 90s film, Needful Things. Great movie, great book. Uh, Alicia Witt was Alia. She was also an urban legend, the exorcist TV series, a good little tie in with Max von Sydow there and Vanilla Sky. And this was her first film as well. I'm saving, in my opinion, one of the best for last. Leonardo Semino as the Baron's doctor, a role made up for the movie. But Lynch wanted to work with him. Uh, why did I save it? Why'd you save him for last, Trey? I don't recognize that name. Well, you should, because he's the scary German guy from the Monster Squad, uh, who has one of the best moments in that movie. And also, he's the old man in V, who has one of the best movies in that entire, best, excuse me, best moments in that entire series, where he says, no, do it like this. V for victory. Basically explains the name of the movie for you uh and there we go we did it and rec I, honestly record time i'm yeah. shocked how fast we got through that cast <sighs> let me mm. let me take a sip of my pineapple flavored hint water because i don't drink carbonated stuff anymore jesse you'd be happy yeah. to hear that <laughs> oh my there we go okay now uh jesse have you ever seen david lynch's dune i have when i was a child Whoa! Many times, one time, general knowledge. Uh, one, some, time. one time and Gotcha. Long, gotcha. Long now, ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, the, the, uh, oh, I guess I should have said this at the beginning. I'm, the, we're talking specifically about the theatrical version. There is a 
there's a fan made version called the uh, oh fuck uh, spice spice something cut spicy cut. that kind of <laughs> it's extra sex scenes fan made sex scenes uh, spice diver there's a spice diver a fan made spice diver cut that's kind of combines the the quote unquote director's cut it's not really a director's cut uh, and this version. And then there's, you know, the quote, again, like I said, quote unquote, director's cut. Or I, oh, actually, I think in, in Dune circles, it's more commonly known the Alan Smithy cut because Lynch did not give any authorization to it. They just kind of put it out as a TV version, if I remember correctly. Uh, and it's kind of like a mini, it's like a four hour, right under four or a little over four hour version of it. Fleshes out a ton of the characters because I don't know why I just burped after saying I'd drink and hit water, which is not carbonated. Mm. It's left over from lunch. Sorry about that, everybody. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but uh, we'll talk more specifically about the book at the end. But let's be honest. If you've read the novel, just the first book, you know that. And, and I mean, the new movie is perfect proof of that. The new movie is going to be in two parts. Uh, the book is so dense with backstory and world building and character development. It is, it truly is, you know, the fact that this movie exists in two hours and I think 17 minutes and pretty much sums up the book. 80% is a pretty amazing feat to me. And one of the biggest things about this film, uh, well, okay, let me get into it. Let me pause. I'm going to pause that for a second. Uh, let me go back. I've seen this film. I saw it in the 80s because of the Star Wars, you know, ooh, a sci-fi movie like Star Wars. <laughs> no. This is not the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dino De Laurentiis, God bless his soul, uh, wanted to compete with Star Wars. That's what this movie is. It, he wanted it, that's all he produced it. That's why it got made. And for good or bad, that's why we have the version that we have. Because David Lynch wanted to do so much more than what we see on screen. In fact, he hates this movie. And more on that in the trivia. I'll touch, I'll come back around to that. But I've seen this movie dozens of, I've probably seen this movie as much as I've seen, honestly, probably, well, nah. I was going to say Return of the Jedi, but that's, nah, that's, that's absolutely not true. Mm. I've seen this movie from start to finish at least probably 10 times. I like this movie. I love the look up. There's a lot of things I personally like about this movie. And I'll be I want to say this was this might have been the first actually this was this and the Elephant Man. I'm pretty sure I saw this before the Elephant Man. This was my first David Lynch movie. So I actually like this movie before I became a David Lynch fan. And let's be honest, this, this movie isn't, you know, in terms of a David Lynch movie, it's really not. It's his space version. It's it's a David Lynch in space movie, but completely butchered by the producers. So it has its Lynchian aspects to it for sure. But, it, you know, like I said, I'll get to the tri first thing in the trivia is about how he thinks this movie's his only failure. I'm sure non-Lynch fans would disagree with that, but uh, I wouldn't because I like David Lynch. But anyway, uh, so I'm very familiar with this movie. I, I, I quote it all the time, like personally, just certain things. Uh, out here in California, where we live now, it is dry as fuck. It's basically Arrakis. And every Sunday when we go to my parents, there's this part where we come around this mountain curve and we, you see this beautiful vista of brown mountains because it's dry as fuck in California and Southern and SoCal. And every time we drive there, every single time I go, Arrakis, never a drop of rain on Arrakis. Just out of, you know, it's become a thing now. So Autumn's like, you're going to say your stupid line. I'm like, yep. One second. <clears throat> I guess. So. You know, I, as I preface with the beginning, I am partial to this movie. However, I completely understand when somebody says that they hate this movie. I absolutely see it. 
uh, and I saw. I also saw this movie way before I read the book. Oh, Jesse, you know what? I just, I'm, you know, how I get to talking and on a tangent. I think I might have kind of not followed up with what you said. Did you I mean you liked it when you saw it and everything? You know, I mean you were, you know, it was like eh, forgettable. Oh, young people's thoughts. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Sorry about that. <laughs> Completely just talked over you. Sorry about that. Uh, you moved on too fast. That, I have a friend that saw it in the theaters. And wow. it was sold to him as a Star Wars movie. So he's like, oh, awesome. I'll go see this. And he gets to the theater and they hand him a sheet of paper of backstory. And they, yeah. Hand, they, yeah, they hand that to everybody in the theater. He's like, uh-oh. <laughs> see, you know, like, I understand why that's problematic. Do I prefer that? No. But in a sense, I, you know, for the fact that they did it for, you know, this is like the first time and possibly probably the only time in history that happened. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing. <laughs> Be, and I'll say that. And here's where my, here's my logic behind that. Now, as a kid, I, I still like this movie mainly because of the sandworms and Kyle McLaughlin is just one of my favorite actors, period. Like he's charming, even in this role where he's playing somebody 10 years older than they should be. Uh, but he's, he's such a, you know, and this is his first film. And I think he does a great job in it personally. Uh, he was, in, I found him an endearing character in this, although he's pretty different from the book. Uh, just, you know, the star studdedness of the film as a kid and just, I mean, you know, like, let's, let's touch on the budget, how it looks. The, all the money in this film went to two things the costumes and the sets, not the special effects. Because mm. uh, the thing is, like I said, Return of the Jedi's budget was $32.5 million, And. Looking at the original version, not the special edition, it still looks fucking amazing. This film looks 80s as fuck when every time there's a special effect on screen. Every single time. Uh, I mean, massive matte paintings, stop motion, you know, puppet worms, uh, which the practical stuff looks good. Don't worry, Ben. I said practical. I'm not going to talk about CG. Uh, However, you know, I'm not going to defend the bad effects in this film. However... I like the overall aesthetic that it gives. Uh, so the, this film is completely has its own look, not necessarily in a good way. The, like I said, the effects are not, the special effects are not good. However, I think they fit the tone and time. It's very dated, but I mean, the, the sets in this film are amazing. The costumes are pretty incredible for the time. And, you know, you see where the money went, it's just not on what you need in a sci-fi film, which honestly, his codpiece was <laughs> half the budget. Which like, that's that's for that's a visual joke on an audio podcast, everybody. Right. But uh, uh, anyway, oh, that stings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, like I said, I you know it's it's the effects are pretty trippy, to be honest with you. I'm not gonna lie, when I watch it for this one, I live in California, things are legal out here, and I've never watched it inebriated, and I. In that regard, and I did, and I had a damn good time watching this movie. <laughs> Let me just say that. Uh, but you know, uh, like the, the Fremen's eyes don't glow in the book. Like in here, like it's clearly like they took the film and like put the like that lightning effect we joke about in Short Circuit and everything, where it's basically animated lightning over the frame. Mm-hmm. Like somebody just colored it in. They basically just colored their eyes in. On the film, so it, it it has that glowing appearance. They're not supposed to glow. That's a book difference. We'll get into that later. But uh, you know, so I, I I do like the look of this film. It's so unique. It's that's what I think. That's what I think endears it to being Lynchian in a sense and a cult classic of sorts. Of oh well, for sure, it's a cult classic. Is just 
the 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 look of it it's 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 dated but so unique and i think that's that's a strength of it today and also everybody acting in this movie is taking it so fucking seriously they're having to spout nonsense this these i'm uh, book fans i'm being facetious these bullshit made up words about you know uh, the Quizak Shadrach and the Bene Gesserit weirding way and the worms will come and you must take the water like all the, the stuff that you needed the, the sheet for in the theater to understand if you've never read the book now when I saw this movie as a kid I was I, absolutely I was confused that age I was absolutely confused but I still you know like oh that was cool I'm gonna watch Jedi now hmm. but I still would watch Dune you know it come on TBS I'd, I'd still watch it whenever I would see it and then as I got older and like, wait, wait a second. Like, oh yeah, I like that movie. You know, it, it, as it became more, or as I became more film educated, I guess I should, oh, wait, that was a David Lynch movie. Shit, I need to watch that again. You know, watch it again, watching it again as an adult, like, oh fuck, I love this movie. This is great. You know, for specific reasons. Uh, it is a, you know, I like, I, you know, it, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not trying to defend it in this. I'm saying I, I like it. You know, this film is a mess, 100%, in terms of how, you know, the behind-the-scenes stuff. However, what we, the finished product, I enjoy because of these reasons and because it's not, every, you know, if every film did this, it would be frustrating as fuck. But this film is based on a, you know, a undeniable pillar of science fiction in a single movie. The new movie is two parts, just to tell the first story. Just for, I mean, just tell the first book, excuse me. And uh, the thing when I was watching it this time, when they when they actually get spoiler alert, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, and it might be a spoiler for the end of the remake. But again, this book's been around since the '60s, I think, or '50s, maybe '60s. Uh, I'm not sure when it was first published. Uh, but basically, when the coup happens and they meet the Fremen, that supposedly that's kind of where the new movie ends. However, they show stuff that happens way past that, so I'm not sure how far they're taking it to where the next part's going to be. Because Dennis Vianu, and again, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing his name. I can never get it right, no matter how hard I try. Uh, said that you know it's it's two movies. He's not telling the whole story. Which honestly, that's the right course of action to tell this story, or cohesively, and and it's a best way to do it. But what about, again, kind of a there's so much to talk about this movie. I'm, I'm just going on all cylinders, so I'm going to have to go back to what I was trying to say to begin with. Which I'll use to that because you watch, you listen to this podcast. Uh, but anyway, as a kid, I liked – it was like not the mystery of some of the things that were going on in this film was what was intriguing about it, which led me to want to rewatch it more. And again, as an adult or older, I should say, a teenager watching it and then like, wow, I need to read this book. I never read this book. And honestly, because around that time in the 90s, we had this thing called the Science Fiction Book Club, which was a lot like the Columbia House CD Club to where you could get six books for a dollar. And then you just have to buy, you know, 20 books within the next year, <laughs> whatever the, you know, the, the twist was. I think it was like you had to buy like three books or something like that. So that's how I got my copy, first copy of Dune was the Science Fiction Book Club. And that was like one of the main reasons I wanted a copy of Dune. I could have just gone to a bookstore and got it. But hey, I liked, you know, oh, the Sci-Fi Book Club's got all these art books and shit. I want these, these art books. I got some comic graphic novels and I'm going to get Dune. Read Dune. I was like, okay, I kind of got a lot of this. The ending's totally different, but I kind of, I really, you know, I kind of, the movie Having read the book after seeing the movie multiple times and doing the mental work in the film, which again doesn't should not be required, but a, being a in a sense a one-off kind of film of how this one was, I I enjoyed that uh, about it. Like, okay, I I was able, you know, I was kind of proud of myself. No, not to toot my own horn, but uh, toot toot. 
uh, after reading the book, I was like, wow, I, I, I kind of got most of that from the book. I mean, I'm sorry, the movie, what was going on. So they, despite it being a mess, I was able to, through multiple watchings, you know, I'm not saying, oh, I watched, oh, yeah, I watched Dune once and I knew everything. No, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. I watched the movie many times, picked up something new each time. Uh, and that's what led to that. What that's what led us to what I'm talking now, saying now. But my opinion about the movie now, uh, you know. So there's that. But uh, yeah, again, overall, I loved it. Watched it many times as a kid. Still enjoy it absolutely. Am I excited that they're remaking it? Abs, you know, that's unusual coming from me. But absolutely, I am. This is one that needed to be remade on a grand scale. The Sci-Fi Channel did it as a miniseries, and it looked like a soap opera. But it was more true to the book. It, it was still good. It was, you know, for sci for that for its time. You know, this film is pure '80s. The Sci-Fi Channel remake might have uh, might have been late '90s or early 2000s. But the time that it came out was exactly what it looks like, or it's from. Uh, the costumes are elaborate for that time. Let's see, where is it, Jesse? 2000. Yeah. Yeah, so basically a culmination of all the 90s right. <laughs> was in the sci-fi Dune uh, miniseries. But the sequel that they did, Children of Dune, I mentioned before, I believe, was my first introduction to James McAvoy. And also Brian Tyler's score for Children of Dune is one of the greatest ever put to the air. You know, I mean, ever, ever made. Uh, so there's like, you know, there's kind of a Dune series. You have the original film. You have the two sci-fi miniseries. Of course, the books... After Frank Herbert died, I think uh, his son and Kevin Anderson, who did a lot of Star Wars novels, I think kind of continue it. And most people who like the novels hate those books with a passion. They just like the original. I think Herbert did five. I mean, Frank, the original author, did five. If I, if I remember, four or five. Again, I haven't read them all. I've only read the first two. So I, I'm not going to speak from a bibliophile's uh, point of view on it. But yeah, so that, I mean, I, got pretty much, I think I summed up all my kind of feelings for it. But uh, it should be noted, too, that uh, there's a great – oh, in terms of like the Dune universe, there's a great – I found it great and interesting. There's a great documentary. I think it's called uh, Jodorowsky's Dune is simply the name of it. And it's uh, – I want to say Spanish. Spanish director Alejandro uh, Jodorowsky was, was trying to do this before Lynch got involved. And uh, I mean he had it storyboarded out. Uh, he had like the entire movies he has storyboard. I wish they put a book out of it, of just the storyboards. Uh, just, I would have actually, you look that right there. You, I see you have it up on the screen. It's a, it's a long documentary, but it's good. It's good. If you're interested in this movie, actually it's only an hour and 30. It felt like two and a half hours. Mm. Uh, so it does kind of drag, but when they, the way that he's showing you everything that they had planned to do, I mean, he had uh, Mobius doing costume design. He had Geiger doing costume design and stuff before. This is before Alien, uh, which some of the designs for that Geiger or concepts Geiger created for uh, Jodorowsky's Dune ended up being adapted and kind of being a starting point for some of the stuff he did in Alien. Uh, so, th- you know, we always talk about like they'll talk about what if on the podcast. And, you know, I would absolutely love to see to have that for that version of Dune to have happened. Just to, because of the the ambitiousness. Now, Jordan like is mad and hates the fact that David Lynch did Dune. You know, it's, sorry, sour apples, but let's be you know, you're a I mean, you made some visionary films. I mean, if if you don't know who Alejandro Jorowski is, IMDB him, and you will probably need beer and marijuana or something mind altering when you watch his films for the first time, because 
they are a fucking trip. They're like when you watch, you're watching. I'm like, what the fuck? It like this is so fucking weird, creepy, unusual. But I cannot look away. And then when it's over, you're like, wow, that was incredible. It's it's weird. It's very weird. If you like David Lynch, you'll definitely you need to. If you haven't already, Jodorowsky is a whole nother level. Like it's like you know David Lynch has is, is such a unique style. Jodorowsky's a totally unique, inc- like you know, weird, like surreal, incredible style. Uh, but honestly, if he made his version of Dune, you know, I think like ten years before Lynch got his, it would have looked the same. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. be honest. Uh, you know, however, like the ambitiousness and what he wanted to do is absolutely incredible. Highest possible recommendation on the documentary if you're a Dune fan and you haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, so even had I think Mick Jagger was supposed to instead of you know, strangely enough, we had a musician play Fade Ralph in in Lynch's version and in Jodorowsky's version. I want to say it was supposed to be Mick Jagger was supposed was he wanted to play Fade. So, and uh, oh, Sal- Salvador Dali would have been the emperor. So that would have been amazing. <laughs> so that kind of, that kind of gets, puts you in the headspace where he was when he was making it or thinking or pre-production. But basically I want to say it didn't get made because it just got out of hand. And you'll see it. You'll see when he's talking about it in the documentary, you kind of easily kind of see that or can see like, okay, this got way out of hand. However, they gave fucking David Lynch $40 million, eight, or 7.5 million more than Jedi to make what we have now or what they had in 84. And you know, one of them looks like it was made in the seventies and one of them looks like it was made yesterday. Uh, I'll leave you to figure it out. Mm. But uh, so, yeah, that's kind of my feelings basically for the most part (laughs) about Dune, uh, David Lynch's Dune for the most part. Uh, So let's go ahead and get into the trivia. And there's a lot to unpack about this film. And I'll be honest with you, Jesse, I told you last week, you know, we might need two episodes or we might need a longer time, but whew, I don't know. Maybe it's just the years of podcasting experience. But we're, we're booking it, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the, tan- the tangents are since all the tangents that we've gone on are Dune related. <laughs> it right. just it makes it, it makes it we're covering a lot of ground. But anyway, on with the trivia. Uh, David Lynch considers this movie his only real failure of his entire career. Uh, pretty much to this day, he refuses to talk about the production and has refused numerous offers to work on, like, you know, special features for DVDs or anything like that. He claims it's revisiting the movie will be too painful an experience to endure. A, a direct quote, Dune, I didn't have final cut on it. It's the only film I made where I didn't have. I didn't technically have final cut on The Elephant Man, but Mel Brooks gave it to me. And on Dune, the film, I started selling out. Even in the script phase, knowing I didn't have final cut and I was sold out. So it was a slow dying the death and a terrible terrible experience i don't know i don't know how it happened i trusted that it would work out but i was it was very naive and the wrong move in those days the maximum length they figured i could have is two hours and 17 minutes and that's what the film is so they wouldn't lose a screening a day so once again it's money talking and not the film not for the film at all and so it was like compacted and it hurt it hurt it there's no other version there's more stuff but even that is putrefied so there you go (laughs) from Mm. from david lynch's mouth he disowns this film. Uh, like I said, however, you know, his, his visual imprint is on it and certain things are all are there because, you know, he was there and he had to, you know, he had to do what he had to do for the job, quote unquote, the job. You know, cause I mean, this is, this is early. I think this might've been his second film, maybe third film, Eraserhead, Elephant Man, this maybe. Uh, so this is, we're not at the, I mean, Eraserhead was Lynch. <laughs> Let's not mince, like, I mean, that was, you know, that was welcome to the world of David Lynch with Eraserhead. That, this is what you're expecting. You know, and then Elephant Man was a commercial success. Let's give this dude Dune, which I'm, I honestly, I'm so 
glad that David Lynch did a science fiction movie because this is what we got a, a glimpse of what that world would look like here. Actually, Dune was before The Elephant Man. No, no I'm no, sorry. I'm reading no, it reverse. Right. I had it right. And then his follow-up to El- Dune, Blue Velvet. So then we're getting back into true Lynch. <laughs> you know, you take out Dune, it's a very cohesive filmography. But this is the... I quoted him just now. You could see the reason why it wasn't like any of his other films. Again, David Lynch is an acquired taste. Not everybody likes him. A lot of people turn things off 10 minutes into his movies because they don't get it, which is fine. I understand that. I'm not, nobody's better for watching David Lynch than you are if you don't. It's something you, you know, that appeals to you and you like unwrapping this film a layer at a time and you never, and you're probably never going to get to the center. I think Lynch even said about Eraserhead, like nobody's ever, the movie came out in AS 70, 77. And he said, he said, like, nobody's figured out the meaning of this film yet. You know, it's like, it's right up there with who is Jack the Ripper and what is the meaning of a racer head? So leave it in the comments. Uh, well, <laughs> that's, this isn't a YouTube video, so <laughs> <laughs> leave it in the review if you know what it is. Uh, but in retrospect, David Lynch did acknowledge he never should have directed this movie. Uh, I think, let's see, there's another quote. I'm just making sure it's not part of what I already said. It kind of repeats what I said, but uh, about him, you know, sell, he, he, sell it out, he sold out. Uh, looking back, it's no one's fault but my own. I probably shouldn't have done that picture, but I saw tons and tons of possibilities for things I loved, and this was the structure to do them in. There was so much room to create a world, but I got strong indications from Raffaella and Dino De Laurentiis of what kind of film they expected, and I knew I didn't have Final Cut. Kind of more, more, a little more info there, based on what he, but also what he said before. But see, he wanted like that's the thing. Like if we could have had, if he had Final Cut, this film would probably have been much more lauded. I would guess because of what we saw him do in the future. I mean, the Elephant Man was before this. Blue Velvet's right after this. This is the odd one out, not just for its sci-fi setting, but in terms of its narrative and structure and everything. And there's your. <laughs> is that the uh, we're on the screen? Sorry again. I know it's a visual joke on audio podcast. Uh, is that the one star reviews? Yeah, I'm looking at the one star reviews for Dune. <laughs> I, I was just curious to see if David Lynch actually left a review. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's literally just he's he's self like hypnotized himself to never <laughs> acknowledge it. He's probably glad the new movie new movies out so people will stop bringing up his movie. Uh, I will never stop, David. I love you, but <laughs> I like this movie. Sorry. Uh, and like I said, we're gonna bring up a lot of Return of the Jedi comparisons because David Lynch turned down directing it. That's right. We could have had David Lynch's Return of the Jedi, which again in a what if world, I wish we had Jordowski's Dune and David Lynch's Jedi. Although exactly what he said about this film, Lucas would have been breathing breathing over his shoulder the whole time. He wouldn't be able to. He didn't do Jedi for that same reason. He wouldn't be able to do what he wanted to do. I mean, can you imagine Star Wars looking like his Dune? <laughs> I mean, it. I mean, honestly, it, you have similar elements like this. These could this. You know, again, people remember Star Wars took place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars is the past. It's not the fucking future. Mm-hmm. Dune takes place in the year 14,000. So they sort of kind of exist in the same universe, kind of. You know, it, the universe is infinite. You know, every sci-fi movie exists in the same world, in the same universe. Unless it takes place on Earth and it's post-apocalyptic, but you could still figure out, you know, a timeline there easily uh, to have like, you know, the sci-fi uh, universe, uh, cinematic universe. Uh, without them saying, like, you know, having a Waylon Utani logo on something in a, a Predator movie and vice versa. But anyway, uh, and his quote to George Lucas was, it's your thing, it's not my thing. <laughs> Which, again, he, he knew that, that he couldn't do what he wanted to do. 
Anyway, and this, you know, he's not even a, you know, he did the Elephant Man and Eraserhead at this point. So, and he just got, he got, you know, the, the strength of the, the cool thing is, I think Lucas would have given him a wide berth, but reined him in. So I think his Jedi would have been incredibly interesting. Uh, but again, he couldn't do everything he wanted to do, you know, but Hey, with Disney, there's still time for a David Lynch, star Wars side story. <laughs> you know, how incredible would that be? But never going to happen. But, uh, anyway, uh, moving on from, you know, the, just the David Lynch side of everything, but the suits worn by the guild members, who are the guild members, Trey? Cause I have, I've, I turned Dune off after five minutes. The dudes in the beginning with the hoses coming out of their mouth and all the weird looking things wearing the big black sheets. Well, those black sheets, those were actually found in a – they were body bags that were found in a disused fire station dating back to the early 1920s. Here's the kicker. The bags had actually been used to several times to transport dead bodies. Uh, these are, this, I'm not, this is not the still suits I'm talking about later in the film. It's the one – the guild navigators in the beginning. Hmm. Uh, they, they talk, he, has, he talks with the microphone. He's like – And then he has a translator talking to him. And it's, that's the thing, like – once you watch the movie enough, you kind of pick up on things. They're like that because they say it in the narration. Like too much spice eventually changes you. And that, that thing in the tube, that used to be a person. But now he's a guild navigator because of all the spice. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm correct on that. <laughs> Somebody correct me. Because again, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let me know if I'm, again, I read the book once, seen the movie multiple times. I could be, I'm, I'm not perfect. This is just a fun podcast. Uh, this isn't, you know, the Dune archive. So uh, just let me know. And then, uh, they, but they didn't tell, back to the body bags, they didn't tell the cast members these were used body bags till after they finished shooting. <laughs> so hopefully none of them, you know, got gangrene or some bullshit. Uh, but going on to the still, stu- still suits, the ones they wear in the desert on Arrakis, uh, Sir Patrick Stewart stated it was the most uncomfortable costume he had ever worn in his career. Uh, and Max von Sydow actually said he said the same was uncomfortable, but he he pretty much said he loved the way his butt looked in it. Uh, so he, he didn't mind wearing it because it made him look good. Uh, during the original, oh, as you mentioned, Jesse, uh, they, they had cheat sheets when you go to the theater. And actually, I had that last week. I had that. No, I saved that somewhere. Hold on, let me pull it up because uh, I wanted to go over some things on there because they're all over the. Oh, you have the actual I, uh, a visual of the printout, or yeah. Yeah, I just need to save it because it's fucking tiny. And then I can open it <laughs> so I can read it better. <laughs> yeah, but it's you know it's just like Dune terminology. I wish I had one of these from back then. Uh, you know, it just kind of ex- and ex- explains all the different things. You know, because there's a lot of terms that they use, like Quizak Sadarak. You know, uh, the ga- I hold your neck, the Gam Jabbar. But again, a lot of this reading it, a lot of this, if you're wa- watching the movie. And they say, oh, look, we got to get the carry-all. It's not coming. They say it early. They show it earlier when Paul – there's a lot of exposition in this film. And again, it's a Lynch film, so you have to pay attention to everything, even though some of it, full disclosure, doesn't mean anything. That's the trick. <laughs> but uh, I wish I had an original cheat sheet. I have it framed in the eventual podcast studio that I'll make whenever we <laughs> figure out where we'll – be for a good long while. Uh, and this was kind of behind the scenes thing. Uh, writer and director David Lynch and producer Rafaela, or Rafaela, excuse me, De Laurentiis, they arranged a screen test in New York City for Sean Young for her role, but Young's agent never told her about the meeting, and she was in fact booked on a flight to go to Los Angeles that same evening. 
Lynch and De Laurentiis were on that same flight. And during the fight, during the flight, excuse me, De Laurentiis noticed Young and told Lynch, I bet that girl's an actress. And they told the stewardess to tell the girl, to ask her her name and, you know, if they could talk to her. And the stewardess told her that, oh, that's Sean Young. And then De Laurentiis and Young and Lynch were like, why'd you stand us up? And it was a misunderstanding, obviously. They sorted out. They ended up drinking champagne on the flight, reading the script together in the plane, and she got the role. So how cool would it be to be sitting there between them, be the third person on the row sitting between Sean Young and David Lynch while they're talking about this film? Uh, I'm sure that wasn't somebody wasn't the case, but I'm sure they're all first class on their, you know, nice, my nice plane. <sighs> I just first class. Like, I mean, yeah, I, of course, happens. Yeah. <laughs> Infer that curtain happens. First class. In the room where it happens. <laughs> I want to be in the first class suite in the cabin. Want to be in the cabin. There's, oh, we, oh, we, got, we got a parody in the works there, folks. Copyright age visited. Uh, Copyright and again, the, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we have a, po- a musical about our podcast, but all the songs are parodies from other musicals. Uh, anyway, uh, let me see. Uh, again, $40 million to make this film. Estimated. 1,700 production crew members on this film. Uh, 80 sets. 16 sound stages. More than six years in the making. David Lynch spent three and a half years of his life working on this, and he hates it. <laughs> so he, he pretty much waste, legitimately wasted, in his opinion, three and a half years of his life on this. But I mean, think about it. 80 fucking sets. That's un. You know, I'm not sure the record, but that is ridiculous. You see where the money went, and the thing is, you know, there's no there's rear projection and stuff, but there's no green screen for these sets. The throne room, all this stuff is physically there. It looks, you know, you see where the money went, but you also see where they should have put more money <laughs> when they're not on a physical soundstage or a set. I mean, the screenshot you have now of Yui in the in the autopsy room, they built that entire set for literally a minute, less than a minute of film. Like literally that, excuse me, that shot right there. That we're, again, sorry, visual reference on audio podcast. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, it, the production value is there, but it's not where it matters in sense, in terms for a science fiction movie. You know, and like, oh, Return of the Jedi didn't have that many sets. Well, no, they had the Death Star. They had all the interior cockpits. Of course, they're on indoor, but these motherfuckers were on a desert planet. So, you know, they could have, they used the money in good places, in my opinion, where it shows in the set pieces, but again, that in a sci-fi movie, I'm going to repeat myself for the fifth time. Sorry that, you know, you got to put it to the other stuff too. <laughs> you got to put money. You got to, you got to, you got to split it better. I think that's the visual. I think it turns people off from the visual because you're basically looking at a lot of map paintings, half the film where one of the things is uh, a two dimensional object is moving, you know, on a map painting <laughs> for the most part, it's just getting bigger. Uh, but nevertheless, a lot of the practical stuff looks good. like the last fight with the sandworms and everything. Again, it's like rear project, not rear projection, but the explosions are, you know, like kind of pasted over it. Like you see like an OBS stuff today and like visual effects where it's like stock effects. Put an explosion here where a, a rocket hit the sandworm, et cetera. You, you know, that's a lot. And it doesn't quite work. It doesn't hold up. Didn't really look good then coming after Return of the Jedi. But hey, that's what you had. Uh, despite being a financial flop, uh, this is the David Lynch movie to make the most money in its initial box office run and the only one to break into the top five in its opening weekend. It was number two, which I mentioned earlier. So no other Lynch film has opened in the top five or made as much money theatrically as Dune did. 
Now, granted, I'm not sure it's his budgets, but I don't, you know, he wasn't getting $40 million budgets for Blue Velvet. Uh, and let's see, uh, the original director of this production was actually none other than one of the most in, uh, inspirational, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I get inspiration. No, I try, uh, what's the fuck? I can't think of the word. Really, Scott. God damn it. It was really Scott. Uh, you know, impressionist. Uh, I'm, I'm complete word fart right now. Uh, uh, but really, Scott, you know, in the 80s with Alien, Blade Runner, Legend, one of the influential. Thank God damn it. Jesus, I had to pull that from the <laughs> asshole in my brain. Uh, was originally going to do it, but his older brother passed away. So it would take too long to do it. So he backed out. Uh, but he left. Again, this movie came out in 84. We're talking three and a half years of production. So this was or this was 80 we're talking about here. So he went in on so it worked out because he went and did Blade Runner. So it was a win-win. Uh and also, you know, kind of a tie-in there. The original director of Dune directed Blade Runner, whose sequel, 2049, was directed by Denis Villeneuve, however you pronounce his last name. And he's directing the remake of Dune. So Weird way the universe works sometimes. Uh, David Lynch wanted to cast Freddie Jones because he worked on the Alpha Man with him. And he got a ton of resistance from the production producers, again, like he did on everything. They actually planned on firing Jones, but they changed their minds once they saw the dailies and actually went to apologize to him and say, hey, we didn't think you could do it, but you're you're killing it. Yeah. So that was that worked out. Uh, the weirding module was written into the movie to replace the uh, Benny Jesuit martial art referred to by the Fremen as the weirding way. Uh, pretty much because, to quote David Lynch, he didn't want to have a film that involved kung fu on dunes, which works out pretty good. <laughs> well, we said some kung fu, so to speak, to quote him at the end of the film. Uh, and I didn't know this until pretty recently. I thought it was a pretty cool fact that you have no idea in the movie. Uh, but it, according to the prequel book, House of Trades, Baron Harkonnen's obesity and sickly condition is actually a Bene Gesserit punishment. He was approached by the Bene Gesserit. Again, if you don't have your cheat sheet, you need to go look it up for this podcast. Uh, to father a daughter, who actually his daughter is Je is Paul's mother, Jessica. Uh, so pretty much Paul's grandfather is the Baron, which you have no idea in the movie. To father a daughter, the Baron, who was actually gay, was furious and actually raped. He's gay and he didn't want to have sex with her. So he, instead of, I guess, you know, he basically raped her. <laughs> In retaliation, she affected him with a debilitating disease because Benny Jesser had like controlled their bodies and stuff. So as he was raping her, she like gave him an STD intentionally, which made him obese and in the book not so much disfigured, but like the Baron was a was like Brad Pitt originally in the in the books until he did this. Which I understand if you're mad at somebody because like like Trey, you have to have sex. You know, I I I identify as straight, so Trey, you have to have sex with a man. Oh, it makes me so mad. I'm going to rape this dude. I don't understand that logic, but, you know, doing logic, whatever. <laughs> oh, you're going to make me do this? Well, fuck you. I'm going to rape. You know, I mean, you're going to slap me around. I'm going to slap him around instead of just getting it over with. I don't know. I don't understand rape logic, and I never hope to because that's disgusting. Uh, like I mentioned when I was talking about Leonardo, uh, uh, excuse me, Leonardo Semino uh, as the Baron Doctor, not in the book, but Lynch wanted to work with him, gave him the role. And uh, I thought this was hilarious, the mashup that this could have been some of the scenes scenes were filmed in the same location at the same time as conan the destroyer <laughs> so in, in some of them fight scenes in the desert you could have you know conan back there with uh, grace jones and andre the giant uh originally sting was supposed to come out of the steam bath fucking naked and sting agreed to shoot the nude scene 
but the studio panicked and told the costume designers that they had to put something on him. <laughs> That's why you know the 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 uh, Instagram shot I put up last week. I don't I can't remember if it was the full shot or not. But that strange plastic g-string he wore was literally made at the last second just to fit to do the shot because they didn't want him to be naked so that's why it, it looks ridiculous to begin with but you're supposed to be buck naked so you pick which you know outcome was better for you uh again what if val kilmer love to get him a mention on the podcast and rob lowe both turned down the role of paul and i love kilmer to death i think that's a good thing i think i think kyle mclaughlin's naivety uh, Naiveness, use that word instead <laughs> so I can pronounce it better, uh, going into the film and his progression to basically becoming a god in the movie works because you see, you see, you know, you truly see his character arc, even though it's over the course of years in the book and the and supposed to be the movie, which they just do it as a passing uh, narration. Uh, I think his performance really sells the movie. And I forgot, that, one thing I forgot, I need to take a step back again because I my excitement and, you know, Unfortunately, I guess mental hurriedness not to make this be a four-hour episode like the Alan Smithy cut. It. I'm trying to go for the Lynch cut here, not the uh, the theatrical cut. I should say not the any of the other cuts of the movie in podcast form. But uh, the oh, the narration, where it's like ah oh, the spice, you know the the whispering narration. A lot of people hate that. First time I watched it, it was off put. I was like, I was like, this is different. But that's all because that's honestly all part. That's how Lynch had to, to fit things in for you to know about. Because of the production company saying, no, you got this has to be a two hour and 17 minute movie, can't be a minute longer. And that's, you know, he turned in a two hour, 17 movie, and that's why you have all this narration, voiceover, this in the head talking, which I don't want to see it in every movie. But I think it works great in this movie because, again, this is a Lynchian science fiction world that we're seeing here. So it's all these unique things that are we're unfamiliar with in terms of how narrative is done filmically, to me, Again, to me, work to make this film seem almost alien in the way it's, you know, in, uh, sorry about the mic, in terms of how it's how it's done. You know, and I think that's some of the quote unquote, my quote, charm of the film to me. You know, there's that sh- autumn. My wife watched the show on Netflix. I think it's called Joe, where the, the dude's a murderer or he kidnaps people or I don't know. I, I just came in on a couple episodes, but he does like the, it's only him. Where he does the narration, I'm watching this show. This dude's like, "Yeah, hey, how you doing?" All of a sudden, you hear his voice. I'm gonna take you and kidnap you tonight. I'm like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and then it's like, I thought he said it because it was so jarring. Where in this film, you know, people complain, "Oh, they whispered and stuff," but hey, when you hear it, you immediately know it's in their head, and they're not saying it to somebody. It's right. a filmic device to let you know there. This is not being said out loud. In comic books, you have that straight triangle coming from the character. And then the word balloon, if they're thinking it, what is it? It's a fucking cloud with little circles going to their head. So you know this is being thought, not said. That's how he did it in the film. Again, I don't want to see it in every film, but I think it works in this film. Turns a lot of people off. That's fine. Those people probably like that fucking Joe show on Netflix that was fucking stupid. My opinion. If you like it, hey, again, uh, let me also say again, because it's been a long time. You know, this podcast is just what I think. If you like or dislike any of these movies in the that we the topic of the podcast or the Back to the Future segment segment, that's so that's cool, dude. I don't care or dudettes. You know this you're you're just here to listen to what I think, and I appreciate you listening to it. And that's why we have reviews and an email address and a Twitter 
uh, 80s at gmail.com at 80s revisited on Twitter, 80s underscore uh, revisited on Instagram. All those Facebook, just search 80s revisited or awesome. I think awesome podcast. I can't, I think it's, I think it's 80s revisited podcast on Facebook is what it currently is. Uh, so, you know, let us know there what you think. You want to, I, I want to hear it because this is a very, this is a very divisive movie. You know, it's, I think there, I think there's no middle ground for this. Either you love it or you hate it. I really don't think people kind of like this film. I could be wrong, but I think it's a very, uh, yeah, that's yeah, not bad. Or it's that movie's fucking stupid. Just that, that's the kind of, I think it's an extreme on it. Could be wrong. Let me know what you think. Uh, Glenn Coase, Glenn Coase, Glenn Close also turned down a role of Lady Jessica. Uh, she quote, didn't want to play the girl who is always running and falling down behind the men. I disagree about that character in the film because she's, basically becomes a spiritual leader for a group of desert men and women. Uh, but that's just me. I'm not, I'm nowhere near a caliber of actress Glenn Close will be. I couldn't even act better than a clipping of her toenail. So <laughs> she knows better than me. She was vice president and, in Air Force One. Oh, uh, hey, hey, it all comes back. <laughs> uh, she was Kamala Harrison before Kamala Harris was. Uh, but anyway, and she was great in that movie. You know, like the, the, the movie, Air Force One is, is I watched it not too long ago. It's, it's so ridiculous. But it's, it's one of those movies where it's 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 like Armageddon. This plot is so <laughs> fucking stupid. Let me let me phrase that. Air Force One is the plot isn't as stupid as Armageddon, but it's like okay, this is really kind of ridiculous. But everybody in it is acting so goddamn seriously. Yeah. You can't help but be like absorbed in the lunacy. If that makes sense, you know, it's just like they're selling it. Glenn Close, Close Harrison Ford, and, and Gary Oldman when he mm-hmm. shoots that pre- that woman in the movie. He cemented himself as one of the greatest film villains of all time. Yeah, you know, I, I, that, when I when I rewatched it again, I remembered three things about Air Force One: one, get off my plane; two, that he shot that fucking woman, and it made me pissed off because I was like, "Damn, bro, dude, dude." Uh, and then the the bad CG of the plane at the end crashing into the water with the dude hanging out the door. That it, it, it looked it looked worse than I remembered it even when I watched it recently. So it's it's really really bad. Like, I mean, again, same thing with Dune. The budget went to the cast and the the interior of the plane, not the visual effects. But uh, Harrison Ford is still my movie president. Uh, let me see where to leave off. Uh, according to the biography, Five Easy Decades, Jack Nicholson at one point in the late 70s considered not acting in this film, but directing Dune. Wow. He just thought it would be too much of an undertaking. He was right. He also turned down the role of Gurney, which is good because Patrick Stewart sold the fuck out of that role in the, in this film. And I could just see Jack, ah, we're going to do some shield combat, Paul. <laughs> okay. Mm. He would not, he, he could have been in this film, but not, and he would have been a good emperor, uh, but not, not Gurney. No way. Well, in my opinion. Not directing much. <laughs> Let's see. Four what is the two? Wow. I didn't even know he directed the, the only one I uh, know of those is the two Jakes. And I haven't even seen it, but I know the, the VHS cover. I think he plays like two roles in that or some shit. Like a bad version and a good version of himself. I don't remember. I haven't seen it. I just know the cover. Because hmm. I was like, IMDb. what year is that? Nine? Oh, that's why I know the cover because we're like, oh, look, because, oh, it's the Joker. Because Batman came out 89 and I was more aware of Jack Nicholson, you know, as an actor because of the Joker in 89 for me as a, as a nine-year-old. I was like, oh, that's the Joker. Well, I want to oh, I just wanted to see movies because he was in it. He really you know? wanted to play Two-Face, so he made this movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I like this Batman character. 
It's, it's got a varied history. Let's take Two Face, split him into two people. But Jack, that's just two people. <laughs> well, it's my interpretation. I'm yeah. Jack fucking Nicholson. <laughs> Are you correcting me? I love. See, the thing is, the thing I love about Jack Nicholson is that if, whenever I try to impersonate him, it's just I sound like Christian Slater. <laughs> it's like a bad impersonation of Christian Slater because Christian Slater, his whole career, has done an impression of Jack Nicholson. Just kidding, Christian. He did it intentionally in Heather's, but Heather's is pretty iconic, so it kind of stuck yeah. with him his whole career. Like, yeah, I'm Christian Slater. Uh, I know he, uh, he's in that show, TV show, Mr. Robot, and he's gotten like, some great praise for it. I've never seen it, yeah. but I, I would love to see Christian Slater come back. Mm-hmm. I think he's uh, – I thought he was a good you – know, he, he was, he was kind of like what if R- River Phoenix had lived kind of guy, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Because him and, him and River Phoenix had the same kind of look. Except, you know, River Phoenix, unfortunately, died, you know, yeah. 50 miles from where I'm living outside the Viper Room. Uh, and actually, I think yesterday or today was actually his birthday. That might be why it's fresh in my mind thinking about River Phoenix. But because uh, back in the day, I, I would get River Phoenix and Christian Slater confused because they, the, like, they had the exact same haircut. So that was just me. I also thought, you know, as I talked about in the Short Circuit episode, that Fisher Stevens was Indian. But that's just the way it works when you're, you know, eight and nine. You don't have a lot of worldly experience. Uh, John, Sir John Hurt was offered the part of Dr. Yui. That'd have been fine. I mean, William Hurt's, uh, I'm sorry, John Hurt's a great actor, uh, but Dean Stockwell, I think, was perfect for it. Uh, his, uh, you know, stoicness in the, in the role was really good. Uh, Patrick Stewart's casting as Gurney was actually a mistake. Uh, they actually were trying to replace a different actor. And David Lynch thought he hired a different person who also happened to be named Patrick Stewart. Not sure how that works. I don't, I've never done a $40 million film. So it turned out being the actual Patrick Stewart. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> a happy accident. Uh, I thought this was hilarious. This cracked me up when I read this. It has been claimed that singer Michael Bolton has a cameo as one of the drummers seen when Fade and Paul start their duel. Bolton denied this in a 2012 radio interview with Australian broadcaster Joel Reinberger. Uh, now, when you watch that, now I remember seeing this scene before I read this and thinking that, oh, seeing the hair and thinking, oh, that dude looks kind of like Michael Bolton. But the fact that people actually thought it, <laughs> or at least in this article claimed it, yeah, it's, it's, it, you can tell it's not him, but like he has, he has that, that time loving tenderness haircut. There he is right there. You saw Jesse that. Yeah. He just has a Bolton-esque haircut. <laughs> he's, he's got the chin. He's, he's got the Bolton chin. But, I mean, you, if you look at it clearly, I mean, it's not – it looks yeah. like – it does look – it does look like okay, – okay, yeah. Like, actually focusing on it, I can see that. He's got that, that terse mouth that Bolton has when he's angry. Not that I know what Michael Bolton looks like when he's angry. <laughs> but uh, it does It does look like <laughs> – it does look like Michael Bolton. When you, when you see it closer, absolutely. Okay, I take it back. I can under, I completely understand why people thought that was Michael Bolton because it does look it looks like fucking Michael Bolton. He's fucking lying. Michael Bolton is lying. That's Michael Bolton. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of that's just some of the behind the scenes stuff. Again, this film is a mess. It's a, a production. What you hear about? You hear always hear that of some movies about oh this movie is was troubled troubled in production. Excuse me. And you know you hear that a lot, but sometimes that turns out to be the case of a good movie. I think this is a good movie, but mainly, you know, because I think the good outweigh the bad in it in terms of acting, the set pieces, the costumes, the score. Toto does a great job on the score. The Dune theme 
uh, the end theme, dun, 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 when the guitars kick in, I'm like, fuck yeah. It's on my uh, film score playlist uh, that I mentioned before, like in terms of, uh, you know, uh, like great movie scores that like rock, you know, I call it just a rock theme at the end of it. I'm sure it has a better name. I have to look on my iTunes to tell you what it was, but it's just, it's great. Uh, the music, you know, the, the, to me, it's just the, the way the narrative is the, they're trying to fit a round peg, excuse me, a square peg, the size of a house in a square peg, the size of a car, if that makes sense. And I think they get it through mostly, but the mess that it makes going through that small hole is what we're left with. If that makes any kind of rational sense, how I tried to state that. Uh, so to me, the good outweigh the bad. I do think it, this is a movie you need to watch multiple times. I'm not, and and look, I had friends that would smoke weed back in the day, and like, and I when the first time I tried, I was like, I'm not getting anything out of this. I, you know, it's just like a cigarette to me. Uh, you know, and like, oh, you gotta try it. You gotta do it more times to get the hang of. Like, okay, that's bullshit. Whatever. And then never smoke weed again for years later till after that. Uh, and they're like, okay, I see what you're talking about now. I feel it now. Cool. Whatever. Uh, but I'm not saying like, oh, I hated that movie. Trey says I should watch it like three times. Like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you if you if you are interested in it originally and like, oh, you know, or you're revisiting it, you know, you got to pay attention first of all. You know, I don't think you necessarily need a sheet. I was looking at the sheet, <laughs> uh, you know, because they they explain everything. You know, uh, they they say the planet's Arrakis, and when he says that, you know, Dune, desert planet. He says it like five times in the fucking movie, and then they make you know, I'm just going the words on the sheet, and they say Arakeen, the capital of the planet Arrakis, known as Dune, like. They say that, you know, I mean, it's not half of these they explain like to where it's, you know, they talk about the Fremen. They say Giddy Prime is the is where Harkonnen's from. She says when they, she said, I hold it. She she literally gives the definition of the Gom Jabbar when she puts it to his neck. I hold it your neck, the Gom Jabbar. You know, and basically like if you take your hand from the box, I'm going to stick you with this. You're going to fucking die. I mean, it's, you know, it's there's stuff there. I mean, you don't need an, a, an, a fit, maybe the, the Kwisox Haderach, but they say it enough in context to, you know, and even say, you know, they, 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 actually they do, they define it. Like it's the Supreme being that the Benny Jesuit think they could breathe. They say it in the movie. You gotta pay a fucking tension. Again, I'm not trying to justify the narrative because it is a mess, but you know, I, I, certain critiques I think are a bit unjustified about it. But again, if you don't like this film, hell yeah. Well, well you know, I have no problem. I'm not going to defend it. I mean, I, I know it sounds like I'm defending, I'm defending my position on it. But if you ha- if you hate this film, if you can get through the first five minutes, I understand. However, if you didn't finish it, I would say, hey, just watch it again. Just say you finished it. Watch, you know, th- don't worry about Spice Diver or the Alan Smithy cut. Watch the original, the two hour and seventeen minute one. Uh, especially if you're David, L- if you're like, oh, I like David Lynch, but I didn't realize he did Dune. You know, it's 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 Lynchian, but it's not at the same time. It exists in two worlds. Uh, but you know, this is this is what happens when you rain David Lynch in. I think you still get a a decent a, a good a movie that I enjoy. However, you don't get a you don't get a full Lynchian movie, nor do you get a full cinematic, you know, crowd pleaser. At the same time, you're stuck in a limbo with it, and I think that's where this film sits. And that's why you get people on one side that love it, people on one side that hate it. Uh, so I think I bloviated enough about that. Uh, let's see, we'll do movie in the book. Let's let's go ahead and do that real quick because I got that uh, up here. Now the movie is actually in a lot of ways, pretty close in general to the book. Uh, some of the, I'll go through some of the differences here. And if I missed any, if you're, cause if you're, if you've read the book, 
more times than I've seen the movie, please let us know on any of our social media. More than happy to issue an errata next episode. Uh, in the movie, the Baron is disfigured, and they don't say he's gay, but you can pretty much, the way he looks at Sting, <laughs> you pretty much, and other people, you get the gist. You know, you don't, again, I like in movies where they don't say things where actors can act and you get the message. I think uh, Ken Million, what was that his name? Let me double check. I don't want to disrespect him. Yeah, Kenneth McMillan. I think he did that. Watching the film, I was like, this dude's gay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, but in the book, in the movie, he's disfigured, fat, and gay. And he, in the end, spoiler alert, he dies in the belly of a worm, thanks to Alia. In the book, he's he's still gay, but he's also a pedophile. And it should be noted this too. Now that we're on the subject, you know, we talked about you know how times are different, and that is a true thing. Things change in time, and just because you know, I hate the excuse. Oh, that's how we talk back then. That part is true. That doesn't mean it's right today. So you adapt and adjust your behavior. I'm absolutely guilty of that. There's some words that, you know, when, if, watch the first season of South Park. There are words that everybody said then that we don't say now because of the connotation, because we have to realize, oh, I was wrong for saying that back then. Don't say it now. For example, you know, in the, was that early, uh, late, mid, mid to late, 97, maybe when South Park came out? You know, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was a rat. You know, people would say, dude, that, don't be gay. That's gay. You know, cat all the time. They'd said it in South Park. That was part of my, you know, I, I'm sorry to say it, but look, you know, I don't say that now. I will say it slipped out a couple of times in fast conversation at the wrong moment. Mm. And I completely regret that. <laughs> Cause like, Oh, sh I'm thinking in my, in my mind, I'm like, motherfucker. That was stupid, you know, but it's, it's a matter you have to, you know, just because and I, I grew up in the eighties, we played smear the queer, you know, watch an eighties movie, Bill and Ted's bogus journey bag. You know, they're saying all this stuff that you don't say now, you know, then we laughed at it. You know, it was, it was, it was a different time, but it was not, you know, at the time it was, uh, it was not appropriate. It was allowed. Is the, that's the problem. Some things were allowed. And, you know, like I said, being a teenager, a 12-year-old, you know, that I'm not justifying it because it was wrong then and it's wrong now. I'm just, what I'm getting around to is that, like, what? because Herbert, uh, Frank Herbert was pretty religious. Or uh, maybe not religious, but he believed that if you're gay, you're going to hell, which is bullshit, <laughs> in my opinion. It's bullshit. So that's why he made the Baron in the book an evil character. So the evil character had to be gay. And if he's gay, he has to be a pedophile. And then he has to be fat. He wasn't disfigured, however, in the book. <laughs> but he was fat. Or at least disfigured in the, in the way that he is in the movie. Put it to you that way. So, you know, Frank Herbert, Herbert had some, you know, he had some good ideas about, you know, creating the, the world of Dune. But, uh, you know, you, you got to keep some of this other stuff out of it. And you have to, you know, you have to take some things in context. The Baron is a problematic character because he was created to be that. You know, he made him that way because he's evil. Oh, the bad guy has to be this. It's like the trope in uh, a lot of 80s uh, or even 80s, actually, actually 80s and 90s horror movies. If you have a cross-dresser in your movie, they're the villain. Uh, dress to kill with Michael Caine. Spoiler alert for that movie. Um, Ace Ventura. Well, that's a, I mean, s similar. 
and uh, the big one, uh, Sansa Lambs, Buffalo Bill. You know, well, that's based on Ed Gein. You know, you can just you can say, well, that one is a little different. But however, you know, it's a cinematic thing that, especially with with the the rise now, or I say, not a a good thing. You know, the trans community is coming out saying, hey, stop giving these false representations, et cetera, et cetera. Which they're right because anytime you see a character like that pre, I I can't say a date, you know, in the past, they're the bad guy or they're some creepy person that, you know, is a villain. That's changing because we have to adapt because these people. Did you hear that beep? I did. I'm just seeing what that was to make sure it wasn't anything important. We still recording everything? Yeah. Okay, I have no clue what I have no clue what that was. So I'm like, oh shit! <laughs> it sounded like it was on your end. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm like, I mean, my phone's on silent unless it. I don't know. Weird. Weird. Anyway, you know. Anyway, what I'm getting oh, uh, clicked off of my book thing. You know, the the bear, the, the Baron's problematic in his creation because it doesn't matter. You know, him being gay doesn't make him a villain. You know, uh, any uh, gurney could be gay. You know, it doesn't matter. That that that's irrelevant. To your, you know, your sexual orientation, it's like I put it in D and D terms. Your alignment is insignificant to your sexuality. There you go. Uh, however, in the, you know, that's why we have the Baron that we have in the book because of Frank uh, Herbert's anti-gay thoughts. Anyway, moving on, and in the in the book, he his he died being poisoned by Alia. Uh, let's see, in the movie, Paul's twenty plus. He literally makes it rain, not money, literal water at the end of the movie. In the book, he's only 15. Now, however, now I like that he's a little older because at 15, I mean, of course, when you see what's happening, you got to grow up fast, you know, and, you know, there are kids that grow up in war zones all the time in this day and age. But I'm not sure, you know, I like that he's a little older. So it, it the wiseness, I think, is more to somebody who has a little more experience to understand what's happening. You know, if I was 15 and 9-11 happens, I don't really have that much of a concept of it. It happened when I was 21. I had a much bigger concept of what that meant when it happened than I would have had at 15. Uh, it's that just having that age to the character, I think, works. He doesn't have to be a kid. You know, he's he's a young prince, so to speak. Uh, you know, in 20, you know, young 20s, that's you're you're so fucking naive at that age still. But you do have a little bit more knowledge, world knowledge on your shoulders than you do when you're like 15. So I do like that he's a little older. Uh, in the book, there's no rain, blind melon. Uh, he has a son, Leto II, who dies in the end of the book. Uh, and in the movie, you have the voice modulators. In the book, you have the Weirding Way, which is prana bindu mar- like training, kind of like a martial art. Again, that's why David Lynch didn't want to do that. He didn't want to have kung fu fighting, his quote, not mine. On the dunes, he wanted to be like, you know, shoot him up. And honestly, I think the idea of the voice modulators is kind of cool. Like it's used as your sound as like a weapon, which, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's different. It's unique. Uh, I like that. Uh, they look cheap as fuck, but, <laughs> you know, it's still cool, I think. Uh, the, and in the, in the movie, again, it had to fit in two hours and 17 minutes. The supporting cast is not fleshed out hardly at all. It's all about context and like you have to fill in the gaps yourself when you're watching it. Like when Gurney pops back up after the assault, it's just like, wow, Gurney. Oh, Gurney's still alive. Cool. You know, of course. Well, where the fuck have you been? Well, he's wearing a still suit. He's fighting in the desert with Paul. He was obviously with another Fremen sect. Do we know how he got there? No. Uh, In the book, I don't know if the book says, I think they might explain it more in the book. I don't remember. I read it once 20 years ago. 
uh, you know, so that's just one example of how, uh, you know, these well acted for their brief moment characters or neglected in a two hour 17 movie. Uh, in the book, their importance is of these of char- those characters are greatly improved. Thufer, for example, they basically just show him in a cell and like the Baron gives him a heart plug, which the heart plugs are new to the movie too, if I remember correctly. Uh, in the book, Thufer, uh, the Baron actually forces Thufer to take over Brad Dourif's character's, uh, the freeze, uh, Piter's character, Piter's position after the Duke kills him with the tooth, the tooth. See the movie that I'm talking about. Uh, and while Thufer is basically working for the Baron, he works to undermine the Baron while he's doing it. And he's kind of the behind the scenes manipulator who puts a strain on the Baron and the Emperor's relationship while Muad'Dib's out there fucking up shit in the desert. Uh, oh, oh, Gurney also in the book thinks Jessica is a, is a traitor and tries to actually kill her. <laughs> and that actually spurs Paul, having not having the prescience to see that or understand that or see that coming to take the water of life. Uh, and also in the, in the movie, the Fremen are, uh, they're all white people. In the book, uh, they're much more Muslim referenced or nomadic. You know, not necessarily a bunch of white people like Sean Young, who's as pale as my wife in snow. Mm. Uh, it's where you, you know, if she lays down in snow, you can't see her, uh, kind of thing. So you know, it's the 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 Fremen are much more inspired by nomadic uh, Middle Eastern cultures as opposed to white people in giant condoms. Uh, that's just me being facetious. Uh, in the movie, the takes the water to life. He goes on a short trip. You know, takes you know, it's like taking a hit of acid lasts an hour or so, maybe his time, and he's fine. Actually, shorter than that in the in the movie because it seems like it's five minutes. He has a five minute trip, less than that actually, a five second trip, and it's over. Father, the sleeper has awakened. In the book, that dude is on his ass for a couple of weeks while he because in you know they don't say this in the movie. It's in the I think the Alan Smithy cut. But the water of life is actually like regurgitated bile from the bellies of baby sandworms. And if a man takes it, it kills him. Men cannot take the water of life. It's basically poisonous and you have to convert your, you have to, your body, you have to have control of your body so well that you can convert the poison to where it doesn't kill you. So that's why like when the, when the women take it, they're like screaming and they're bleeding out of their eyes. You know, and ma- every man that's taken it has died except Paul because he actually is – Muad'Dib, the Kwisak Shadrach, the supreme being, he's able to do it. The prophecy is now true. So he's in the movie, he's basically God, you know, in a sense, you know, and not in a actually like no, the Christian God sense, but he now is a prophet, a messiah, a, an advanced being uh, because he did that. Excuse me. In the end of the movie, it rains. Paul basically becomes emperor in the book. Fairly close, except the rain part. Uh, the emperor reluctantly cedes the throne to Paul. Paul has to marry Virginia Madsen's character, Princess Rulin. Uh, he takes con- Paul in the book. Paul takes control of the empire, and he realizes that when he's now he's now the emperor, the jihad that the Fremen have is now uncontained, and their belief in him is too powerful that he has to he has to keep going, because the message of the book is you don't trust leaders to be right. To, excuse me. The message of the book is you don't always trust re- leaders to always be right. That's the message. Very good message to this day. You don't, you know, and especially the previous four years and the current and every, and actually every leader you have as a nation, I'm getting on a little political soapbox. Mm. Don't trust them to do every single thing right. 
They will do some things right and some things wrong, but you have to be there to call them out and to stand up when they're doing something wrong, but also say, okay, this was good. This was a good thing. Excellent. But, oh, you fucked up here. This is, you know, here's our distaste, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, off the political soapbox. Actually, it's a landmine <laughs> when you talk about politics. Let me stay on this landmine carefully. Then I'm going to pull a Kingsman 2 and freeze it and get off of it real quick. Uh, so that's the movie in the book for the most part. I'm, I'm sure I missed some details because, again, I read the book one time. Uh, I remembered a, a couple of things that were different offhand. Had to go research it more this past extra week that we had to kind of fill in some blanks. Because I am I love to read, but my weekly reading is pretty much staying on top of comic books. <laughs> so I'll, I'll read a novel at it. It takes me a, like a, a couple months to read a novel these days because I'm fitting it in between catching up on the you know, 10, 15 comic books I'm trying to read a week. So uh, that's why I like, you know, the most I've ever read was when we did our Halloween horror month on Stephen King, where we did the movies and the books. I have never read so so much in a month as I did. I read five fucking Stephen King novels in a goddamn month. Now, granted, we're not talking the standard it, but that's the most I've ever read in my in college when you had to read multiple books. I didn't read that much in a semester as I did for that. So I, I didn't read the book uh, to catch up on it. I do have a really nice version of it that came out recently just for like my bookshelf, kind of a bookshelf version uh, that I would like to read. Or I'll get to reading it again. Maybe after then uh, the new one comes out, maybe I'll reread it after that uh, sometime when I get to it. I need to finish the Dark Tower, though. I'm so behind. I got three books left on the Dark Tower, and it's the thickest. Oh, actually, no, I think the Wastelands was the thickest. I don't know. Anyway, off topic. <laughs> Sorry, but uh, score-wise for David Lynch's Dune, as I said in the beginning, I I'm a huge fan of David Lynch. I love his style. I love his his audio. I, everything about a Lynch film, the narrative, the narrative, the look, the feel, the tone, the music. You know, this isn't is it, this is you know fringe Lynch, just as David Lynch is a you know sort of a fringe filmmaker in his style. This is fringe for him because it's this is closer to the no, a normal movie. This is the most normal movie he ever made, next to the Elephant Man maybe, but he still had Final Cut on it, so it's still his. Uh, but like I said, I, I truly enjoy this movie. I have a, every time I don't mind why it's so quotable. It's not better than any of the star original star Wars trilogy. Uh, but I would give this movie an eight. I legitimately enjoy this movie. I could, if it's on, I'll watch it. I, I, it's a good background movie because of the dialogue. I like the dialogue. And again, I've seen it enough to where I know what the fuck they're talking about. I understand if you said, you said bullshit, let's say our good friend, Ben, uh, says, oh, watch Ben. I'm sorry for my bad Australian accent. I just, I just want to try to put it on display for you, so you can tear it apart in an email or a message. Oh, I watched that movie. Garbage, just garbage. You're totally right. I believe. I understand. Uh, you know. So now there are some movies that we review on here where I don't understand why people don't like them. <laughs> but this one, this one, I, I completely understand if you don't like this movie. Now, Jesse, I know you saw it once. I mean, do you have? If you had to give, if you had to, oh, based on your recollection. You know, just top of your head, what would you, you know, according to memory, what would you, what kind of numerical score would you just kind of throw out at at the top of your head from memory? Uh, young Jesse would probably give it a six and a half. I remember it being long for Young Jesse, but I think nowadays mm-hmm. this is nothing. Yeah, it's as short. long as the theatrical goes. Yeah, yeah, and then also, you know, if if you like this movie and you've never seen this Spice Diver, you kind of go. Uh, that's a fan version, so you have to go to sites to find it wink wink haha get a vpn uh the alan smithy cut i don't think it's really i don't know it might be the same way uh because it was 
I, the first time I saw the extended, I was watching Dune on, te- on like TNT one night and I'm watching the opening like this, what the fuck is this? It has a complete like Renaissance painting narrative slideshow at the beginning, which I think would have behooved them to put in the actual theatrical version because uh, it does a lot of exposition. Uh, I remember watching it. I'm like, what the fuck? is This isn't Dune. And then like, wait, this is Dune. What the fuck? I was blo- and I sat there for four hours or well, five hours on TV because of commercials and watched the whole fucking thing. I was like, this is shit I've never seen before. It was amazing. But that's because I like the movie. If you like this version, hunt down the other versions. They're definitely worth watching. Uh, but my go-to version, if I want to watch it, is going to be the theatrical because I, I, all the exposition I already know. I know the backstory. I don't need to be filled in on it. It's fine. So there you go. This is me. Nail in the coffin. We did it. Record fucking time, man. Well, at least talking about the movie, we still got the other sections to do. But whew. I think I think I think hyping it up with you know how we were talking last week, Jesse. We're like, I don't know. I think I think it might be a two parter. I don't. I, don't, I think it's going to be at least three hours. It still might be. Uh, it might be four hours. But uh, I'm. I think hyping it up in my head like it made me more aware of to keep moving about it, thinking it's going to be long. So it's actually shorter than I thought it would be, at least talking about the movie. So we're done talking about Dune. Let's get on to the other stuff. In the real world, again, this film released December 14th, 1984. Of course, I was four years old. I did not see it in the theater, by the way, obviously. Neither did my parents. It's not their not their bag. Uh, four days before, on December 10th, Cisco Systems is founded. As I look over at my router, I see a logo that says Cisco. So thank, thank you, Cisco, for you know making all your shit so we can have it. Now, uh, Back to the Future, actually, this might take up as long as the fucking movie because I got some things to talk about here. Uh, Jesse, have you seen anything or played anything recently noteworthy board game-wise or video game-wise or anything since a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I played uh, Dune Imperium uh, based on the new film. Oh, I saw you unbox that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know you played it. I saw it on uh, iHeartBoardGames on YouTube.com. Or yeah, <laughs> YouTube.com. <laughs> what year is this? 2004? <laughs> YouTube. On YouTube. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, very good. Um, I'm always hesitant with those IPs that are uh, yeah. popular. Uh, but this one was good. This one was gamer first, IP second. But it still delivered the product well. Um, I watched Val upon your uh, recommendation. Oof. I really What'd enjoyed you think? Val. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was good stuff. Good heart wrenching stuff. Oh, when when his spoiler alert with his mom. That, yeah, dude. I, see, I, I broke. I was like, oh, man, like that tore me up, and so I was just like, <laughs> you, you rarely see like you know, and again, it's a spoiler for it. Uh, but you know, his mom passes away. Like, I mean, he's an old guy, so I mean, it's not you know out of the ordinary for happening. Uh, but you know, rarely do you see somebody. I mean, Val Kimmer was a sex symbol. You know, he was a Big at big name actor, you know, you you never see you see people vulnerable on screen, but then you see them like in reality, and it's just like you know you see you know, oh he had a camera he was filming it he was acting uh, I don't you know when you when you see it I don't think he was fucking acting I mean that's that was raw emotion and it was just to me it was hard it was like it was just so hard I mean you got to watch the the movie it's fantastic yeah uh, it's really good and I mean the fact that he just filmed all of this stuff. Since he was a kid. It's so cool. Very, very much a lover of film. mm -hmm. And and, and a total new respect for him after that, too, you know? Yeah. Uh, So I'm Um, glad glad you watched it. Also watched The Suicide Squad. Okay, what'd you think of that one? 
Um, yeah. It was all right. I think it was overhyped for me because I watched it so late. Um, but it was still decent. It was still probably the best DC movie I've seen. <laughs> yeah. It's up there for me. Like, I think Apart last week. Uh, Nolan's Batmans and stuff like that. But, um, oh, yeah, of course. And Keaton. Yeah, yeah, all the Batmans. Uh, In terms of like, the recent DCU, it's it's probably my yeah. favorite off the top of my head. Like it's aside from you know not Nolan stuff because that's not DCU. You know, in ter- you know, Batfleck is the DCU I'm talking about. But yeah, I, 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 as far as James Gunn goes, I mean, it didn't hold a candle to the Guardians of the Galaxies, in my opinion. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I felt like the uh, the scale was so much larger. Uh, mm, I think my favorite gotcha. character was Starro, though. i see what you're saying that's a good point too because uh you know guardians 2 is one of my favorite mcu movies it's in the top three what yes guardians of the galaxy 2 is one of my favorite mcu movies because it has got so much you know everything i talk about suicide squad but 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 even better like james gunn will blow your mind will make you laugh your ass off and then break your fucking heart in the span of two hours and Guardians, every every single time I watch Guardians of the Galaxy 2, first one's still great, but I mean, 2 blew it away in my opinion. Hey, you got Kurt Russell, of course, notwithstanding the Kurt, the Russell factor. But when they do that hyper jump through like 8,000 8, different things, and it's so, st- I, I hurt myself laughing every single time. And then just the end with fucking Yondu is fucking in, like, Yond, like, who thought that character would have like, you know, I, that's more impactful on me than Tony Stark dying in Endgame. Because I get you see it coming in Endgame. I mean, you kind of know. Uh, but I mean, Yonder, you know, he might have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. And, I, you know, Mary Poppins, like, he, he steals your, he steals the show and then saves his life. And then, and then you know, fucking Stallone shows up like, yeah, you, you're a good one, Yondu, you know, hey. And, and, and Rocket, you know, they came. Every time he says that, my wife tears up. I can't even, if I just say they came, she's like, why you got to bring that up? She gets mad when I say that. Uh, so again, I, I fucking love Guardians too, but uh, but it's really what you, I think you really nailed it on the head, Jesse. You kind of nailed it. Like I don't think I like Suicide Squad probably as much, but for different reasons, mainly because it's R-rated, and so you get that brutality, that 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 comic book stuff that you don't see regularly. But also the scale is so much. Well, of course, we're talking. They're guarding the galaxy. They're sitting there fighting yeah. giant starfish. <laughs> but no, I know exactly what you mean. It, yeah. it makes perfect sense what you said. Like, that's perfectly uh, exactly. But also, I, I think I give, and again, since last time we talked, I think I said I saw, so I've seen Suicide Squad like three times. I've seen it like eight times. Like, I just wow. put it on the background when I'm working just to listen to. There's so many little parts. And John Cena, God. Yes, yes. Like, John seriously, Cena like. He needs to like be recognized. Like I haven't seen Fast Nine. I hate that fucking series. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rock's not in the new one, so I, I think I'm going to watch it just to see John Cena now. <laughs> and I'm actually excited about the Peacemaker series because his character in this film, it, Peacemaker, is is so great. He uh, and the funny thing is, you'll get the, the. I say this as a joke, but like he, re, if if our friend Cliff was in that movie, Cliff at one F, he would be John Cena in this movie. Mm. There's just something about his character. In this movie, it makes me think of him. I don't know why. Just this, you know, his, I don't know. There's something about it. It just makes me laugh when I'm watching it. And then, I don't know. I'm glad you watched I'm glad. I'm definitely glad you watched it. I wish more people would see it because it's being considered a flop because it didn't make, you know, fucking uh, Black Widow money and all that shit. Uh, and I think I it's infinite. Black Widow. 
I mean, you saw the better one. I mean, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like it, to me, I, it just blows my mind that this movie is like it's so it is such a a breath of fresh air in the superhero genre, mainly because it's R rated. B because James Gunn got to do whatever the fuck he wanted to do. On top of that, I mean, the cast is solid, which he knows how to do. The music's great. Again, it's, um, we already already reviewed it a couple episodes ago, but uh, you know, and then you know, honestly, shit like Black Widow and what was the one before that? Uh, Wonder Woman eighty four. Get all this money and praise, and it's like those are so by the fucking book. Not a shred of fucking originality to them. They're just par for the course for the DCU and the MCU. And then this one comes out and throws the book out the window, and it's such a unique vision, and it gets it goes nowhere. You know, that's honestly, but you know what? That's par for the fucking course. Mm-hmm. You know, so what, 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 what did I expect? You know, but the, the new Suicide Squad is, is a cult classic and already to me. Like James Gunn, you know, he's my favorite working director right now. Again, that's just me. Uh, but yeah, no, we, we talked about two good. You, anything else, Jesse? Anything? Uh, well, uh, I saw John Cena and SummerSlam. That's, that's about the last thing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't uh, of course, it went to Peacock. Uh, was it Peacock or Paramount Plus? It's or Peacock. Whichever, well, whichever one it went to, I have an LG TV from like three years ago, and they don't they don't have the fucking app on it. Oh no! So if I, so so like uh, you know, and then my TV. I mean, my TV's fine. It's not. I don't need to replace it because it's fucking sixty five inches and still works. I guess the LG is just behind on the fucking apps, so I don't have like. Peacock doesn't have Paramount Plus, doesn't have Shutter. Uh, so all these, there's all these streaming services that I want, and it's so fucking complicated to stream my damn laptop to the TV, and even tablets because it's LG, which is Samsung, and not you know, so it's anti Apple to begin with. Uh, so I need to go get a fucking Roku to add on, which I don't want. I don't want to buy anything different. TVs are fucking smart; they should all have these apps. Uh, so that's why I haven't watched any wrestling. I didn't even do WrestleMania last year. Wow. Uh, because I didn't have an app to do it with, it's but fine. from what I've from what I've seen on, uh, oh, I'll, honestly, you dude, watch I watch everything I, on YouTube now. Like, all oh, the really? Highlights. Like, oh, that's yeah, what I, not as they happen, but you can watch like a couple hours afterwards. That's what I've been doing. Like, wrestle free plug to them. They already got a million plus subscribers, so I think like they need any more. Uh, WrestleMania, they do like recaps every week. I yeah, I, yeah, I watch yeah. those to stay on top of it. But I mean, you know, Royal Rumble, I want to, I, I always want to watch the Rumble. I always like watching WrestleMania for the spectacle and what might happen. But uh, from what I understand on SummerSlam, uh, did Cena like retire? Like say that he's done? Uh, he'll be back. He'll be back. He's done mm. for now. Gotcha. Yeah. But he, yeah, he didn't leave his boots in the ring or anything. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, uh, yeah. Like Sean might, you know, yeah, same situation. Like it's, it's not the last match. It's the, like the Undertaker leaving his fucking gloves and hat and then wrestling four more fucking times after that. <laughs> you know, it's like, what is the ending here, dude? But well, anyway. The, the Undertaker's ending uh, being that documentary, I guess, was a pretty yeah. good way to go. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Uh, in the Dune board game, did it have, like, the characters? Did you recognize some of the names I've mentioned or from the movie? or It's all like, the Paul new and- characters. It's all, I mean, you know, the same names, of course, but the new faces of the movie. Um, gotcha. Oh, yeah, oh, so all it, in there. Okay, good. Because if if whenever I come down and we play it, I will be in character the entire time. So <laughs> <laughs> can't wait for that. Uh, anyway, I you, know, you saw some go- you saw some great movies recently, Jesse. I saw two shit dog shit fucking. If a dog ate his shit and then shit it again, you get these two movies. This is, these are double shits. And I'll start. Actually, 
that's uh, that's pretty harsh. It, okay, the first one I saw was Snake Eyes. <laughs> I fucking love GI. I love GI Joe so much. I dressed as the Baroness one year for Halloween. That's how much I love GI Joe. That I would cross dress as a character because I love it so much. My brain went so, to the Nicolas Cage movie. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> he in the Snake Eyes movie? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was like, why? Why did you shit on that movie so much? I was like, that, <laughs> no, that movie's a goddamn masterpiece. That's De Palma and Nicolas Cage. It has that movie has a great technique where they shot like two long scenes simultaneously. Like they shot they shot Cage's point of view. And then they shot this other actor's thing that's going on at the same time. So, like, but they do have an intersection where, like, Sage is like, Sage, Cage is like, hey, I'll see you. And then, like, they shut a door or something. But you're seeing that's still the light, the exact same scene you just witnessed earlier. So, yeah. Cage's Snake Eyes is great. I saw that in the theater. That movie was fantastic. <laughs> From only saw it once, I need it's to revisit it. Better okay. than the other Snake Eyes. Uh, okay. It, you know, this is like a GI, this is like the Snake GI Eyes. Joke. <laughs> yeah, it's the GI Joe one. The the I think it, uh, the subtitle was like a GI Joe origin story or some or GI Joe origins Snake Eyes. It is G, it is the origins film to the GI Joe franchise, which isn't nothing to write home about anyway. Uh, as to what Wolverine origins was to the Wolverine films, a piece of stinking double shit. I didn't even know this movie was fucking coming out till like three months ago. I thought it was just pre production. Like Snake Eyes, cool. Ray Park's coming back. Nah. Nah, it's some dude who fucking talks. <laughs> this, like, again, I am a huge G.I. Joe fan. I grew up on G.I. Joe, Masters of the Universe, and Transformers, the cartoons and the toys. That was my fucking childhood for years. I've all, I, I still have, I have the hardcover omnibuses of the G.I. Joe comics. I had the G.I. I, every, I love G.I. Joe. I didn't have as many figures. I had the motherfucking aircraft carrier. Uh, didn't have attorney, though, so I, I would have traded the aircraft carrier for attorney in a heartbeat. Although the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier came in, in handy for the forces of Grayskull to board it and travel to ride it to Snake Mountain. So when they outfitted it with retro jets to fly like a fucking <laughs> shield carrier, heli carrier. Anyway, uh, this movie is fucking garbage. It is completely disrespectful to the fucking character. No, it's not because they made him Asian because Snake Eyes is a white dude in the comic. I'm not compl- that is not I'm, I'm complaining that he's fucking talking. Snake Eyes never utters a goddamn word. He might he might utter four words in the entirety of the comic book run. I don't think he ever says anything in the fucking cartoon. He doesn't fucking talk. He him and Storm Shadow were pretty much raised in the uh, Ashikage clan. I think is the right way to. I might be mispronouncing it. Clan from birth. He wasn't some fucking street thug who learned how to become the ultimate fucking badass over the course of an hour and a half, a two hour fucking movie. Like seriously, I this I'm watching it just like I can I'm watching I'm watching a, the train wreck. I'm not watching the train wreck in slow motion. It's in full high speed motion. It's like this is this is this is fucking terrible. And the dude that plays Storm Shadow, po- like oh look at this, J- J- Jesse again audio joke on a I mean a video visual joke on audio podcast. <laughs> there are giant fucking anacondas in this movie who sense your fear. It is fucking terrible, fucking terrible. I fucking hate this movie. It is worse than any of the previous G.I. Joe movies. Now, the first one, The Rise of Cobra, it is bad, but to me, it's bad good. I will watch that. I think, well, the Baroness looks fucking hot, for one. Uh, she looks great. Uh, didn't care for Cobra Commander, even though Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know, they tried to do it. Destro wasn't bad. wasn't terrible. Snake Eyes didn't fucking talk, and Storm Shadow was amazing in the G.I. Joe, the previous movies. This movie, 
uh, it's just like they had a movie and they they literally shoehorned it into GI Joe. Baroness mm-hmm. looks stupid. She teams up with Scarlet. Oh, Samara Weaving, you are the high point of the film. You are a great Scarlet. I would love to see you in another movie, GI Joe movie as Scarlet. She was great. She's you know, Margot Robbie's number one for me. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson's number two. But then we got Samara Weaving right there in my you know, free pass list. Uh, that all couples have for celebrities. Well, most couples have, <laughs> I should say. But you know, this main act, this the lead actor in this movie is not bad. I've no, uh, he's not great, but he's not terrible. But he's not. He should have. He could have. Well, the dude that played Storm Shadow in the other ones was great too. So shouldn't have recast him. But I have no problem you making Snake Eyes Asian. I have a problem with you making him fucking talk and not be pretty much raised from birth to be the badass commando that he's supposed to be. So fucking aggravating. And they're fighting in this movie over a like a, a fucking infinity stone. Kid you not. And there's giant anacondas. It's fucking terrible. If you like G.I. Joe, skip. You know, you can watch it to laugh and be completely angry and disappointed at how stupid. And it's just like they, they thought of these cool set pieces and the action is, is shot. It's, it's not well directed. It's it's. It's just not good. It's it's so it's more disappointing than either of the previous two GI Joe movies. And again, I actually like the first one. Let me phrase that: it's tolerable. The second one has the rock in it, so it's as tolerable, even though everything else about it sucks. Although Ray Wise, I think, was an awesome Firefly. Uh, so this is the worst one. It is again Wolverine Origins. This is the GI Joe version. It's goddamn fucking terrible. Good, good friend and longtime listener of the podcast, John. I know you saw it. I can't remember if you liked it or not. If you liked it, I have to disagree with you, buddy. This movie was shit. I, I, I quite possibly would have asked for my money back after watching it if I paid money to watch it. Luckily, my brother rented it, watched it over at his house, and there's that. It's garbage. It's fucking shit. Ugh. <laughs> uh, okay, enough about that one. Now let's talk about another movie that blew my mind with how bad it was. Now, I still have a. I think still think Kate Beckinsale is gorgeous. I think she's a she's a pretty she's a. De- I think Margot Robbie's a better actress. I think Samara Weaving's a better actress. But I think Kate Beckinsale is a. Is, she's a good actress. You know, I went. She's not my favorite actress. She's one of my favorite looking ones. Uh, you know, she's she's good. She's not bad. But she had a movie come out recently called Jolt. J O L T, aka Crank with Kate Beckinsale instead of Jason Statham. Hmm. I don't even know where to start on this movie. But, uh... (laughs) God. Like, I'm watching it... Like, first of all, when I first started this movie, I thought she was an executive producer because this has to be a a vanity movie for her. Because she... I mean, she looks looks great. But she looks 20 years old. And that's a good thing. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But it's just like, it was, I was like, who, at first, like, that's, good God, she looks fantastic in this movie. Uh, but they really hype up that, and I'm not saying people should act their age, but Kate Beckinsale is an older actress, but it's almost like this was written for, for like, for almost like for Samara Weaving, and they want, and, but they couldn't get her, so they got Kate Beckinsale. That's all I mean by that. So they, they gave her a younger, you know, they make her dress like kids do these days, you know, like a mom who's trying to relive her, be cool for her kids to hang out with her daughters or something like that. I don't know. Not complaining about her. I'm complaining. I'm just saying how it seems like that's what this movie seems like. Okay. Now she was born with this to where if she gets angry, she becomes like a superhero. 
<laughs> to where she can just beat the shit. She knows Kung Fu. She can beat the shit out of people without having any martial arts experience. <laughs> so that's the plot. So Stanley Tucci's in this movie and he's like, quote, un, you know, quote unquote, experimenting on her. So he gives her this little device on her spine that's overly dramatic. That when you see it on her, it's not even on her spine. It's like these electrodes coming off of her spine. So she has to push this little keychain to jolt her from doing from injuring people when she gets angry. That's the premise of the movie. Oh. So now let's get on to the plot of the movie, to where basically Stanley she goes to Stanley she's like, "Hey, the jolts aren't working. I need higher voltage because I'm still getting angry." He's like, "Okay, well let's." Let's bump it up some, but hey, you should try meeting somebody and living your life. So then she meets Jai Courtney, Captain Boomerang from the Suicide Squad. Yeah. There's a picture of him right there, who is terrible in this movie. I love, I thought he was, I didn't mind him in uh, the Die Hard sequel where he was John McClane's son. Loved, thought he was, he was one of the high points in the original Suicide Squad. And as you know, Jesse, he has a brief moment in the new Suicide Squad. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, but he, I love him as that character. We're like, you know, him calling Pete Davidson. What kind of fucking dog is that, mate? You know, he's great. And, you know, he's great in the Suicide Squad. I don't mind him as an actor. He is god awful in this film, like playing like, oh, God, it's just this movie is so bad. Oh, my God. It's, it's just so ludicrous. He's terrible. He's like he is the perfect. He's acting like the perfect man. Like, oh, yes. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I misspoke. I didn't mean to to judge your gender like just all sorts of stereotypical woke shit this movie is woke feminist and i'll get to what i mean by that i don't want to offend anybody but y'all you'll if you see it you'll understand exactly what i'm talking about when i'm using these this verbiage i'm watching this thinking either a 12 year old girl wrote this or a 40 year old man who thinks they're woke about female issues and females in movies wrote it guess which one turned out to be true this movie's written by a dude. When when it came up, directed by I forget the director, a female director, uh, which is good. Need more of those in Hollywood. I don't think she was a good director because this movie is, is shit. But when it comes up that a dude wrote it, I literally stood up. My daughter is sleeping. We're watching this at ten o'clock at night. I stood up, basically pulled a fucking uh, Walter Goggins from Hateful Eight. I fucking knew it, and I was just. I was like, God, I fucking knew it. This is this explains everything. This movie is trash. Some dude thought he was gonna write he rips Frank, adds a female protagonist, and then thinks he can write females in movies. No. No, no, no. This is this is a 90s movie made today. This is movie is 30 years late. Ugh. And I'm not I'm not even scratching the surface of the this movie is ludicrous what happens in it. Oh, like, seriously, like, thankfully, I didn't watch Snake Eyes and this on the same day. They were days apart. Thankfully, I had a break between them. But let me sum up this movie. Okay, let me just explain some of the ludicrous stuff. I, 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 that's more ludicrous than what I've said. So anyway, he, she goes on a date with Jai Courtney. She kind of likes him. I mean, they fucking, you know, she, she, she can't relate to people, but they have sex within five minutes of meeting each other. Uh, all this stupid, you know, total, like, sitcom shit. And then police show up at her door. Somebody murdered him. Yes, this this perfect man you met, he's murdered. Well, she takes it fucking personally. So she, she's like, I want to see the body. You can't see the body, ma'am. Sorry, he's dead. And the cops are, uh, what's her name? Uh, Laverne Cox, which, you know, great to see. Speaking of, you know, a trans actress getting more, role, you know, big, a bigger role than you normally typically see. You know, she's 
I like Laverne Cox in Orange is the New Black. Black. She's not good in this film. And then the, the guy cop, he looks like he'd be Frank Grillo's older brother. I don't know his name. I think his name is actually Frank, but he, I think he's dating. I saw it the other day. I was like, oh, he's dating this chick. And I don't know. Anyway, not withstanding. But the, the male cop in this film, uh, he's a character actor. He pops up. He always plays kind of the same character. Uh, he's stereotypical, like, hey, I believe you. Oh, Bobby cannot Cannavale. If you see his face, you'll recognize him. He appears, he's in a whole bunch of shit. Uh, you know, he's not a bad actor, but he's a character actor. He shows up, he plays similar roles usually. Sometimes he's a bad guy that, oh, yep, he's a bad guy, of course, obviously. He's the one that's a turn. In this one, he does actually play against type, and you expect him to be like the bad guy, or like he's actually working for the bad guy, but he's not. He's actually a good guy, and oh, he's got a, oh, he's so cool and nice. And again, he's woke, like Jai Courtney's character is. It's so I just it's these characters are so cookie cutter. Like here's a trope as a character. Like it's it's so terrible. This movie is terrible. But wait till the kicker comes in the end. When you hear my final thought on it, hmm. there is a okay. There's this skyscraper. It's as tall as the Empire State Building. She fucking and like it has like grooves in it. Like uh, you know how like when you see people like put a hand on one wall and the other and like walk up a wall. This bitch walks up an entire fucking skyscraper doing that and has a phone call with the cops while she's doing it. That's how stupid this is. <laughs> and uh, oh my god, I can uh, I'm getting I'm getting angry just thinking about it. My brain is like I'm going to have an aneurysm. That's okay. You know, okay, I'll give it that. Okay, sure, whatever, blah blah blah. You know what action movies are missing, Jesse? A movie I've always wanted a scene in a hospital. Oh, there's movies in hospitals. Okay, I want a scene in a baby ward. Oh, I'm sure there's scenes in baby wards too. I want a scene in an action movie where they're fighting with guns or a gun. There's a gun being pointed at somebody above sleeping children. And to escape, this character, who who is the main character, picks up a child to use as what you think is a shield against a police officer with a handgun, which is bad enough. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? There's kids in here. No. Kate takes it a step beyond. She fucking throws an infant at the cop who's holding a gun. I kid you not, people. She throws a goddamn baby. And what does Laverne Cox do? Rightfully so. She... Best acting in the movie. Her face is like, what the fuck is this dumbass doing? Drops her gun and catches the baby. Seriously, this happens in this film. But you know what? I don't want that to happen once. I want to see that again because I didn't believe it the first time. She picks up another baby, our hero, and (laughs) slings it across the room to where the baby, as it's being thrown, gets its dedicated over the head uh, overhead shot of it spinning across the room to again be caught and gently laid down by Laverne Cox. Hmm. So I'm literally, I, I thought I was high. I thought I'm, I'm looking at my drink. I'm like, what the, f- I rewound it. Like what, like this, I w- autumn fell asleep. I'm like, I woke up my like, autumn, wake up, wake up, wake up. Yeah. Watch this. And yeah, it happened. She fucking throws a baby at a person with a gun, not once, twice in this movie. 
If a villain did it, sure. This is the goddamn hero of the movie. <laughs> this mo- this movie is terrible, but upon finishing it, it is bad. Oh, spoiler alert, Jai Courtney didn't really die. He's the fucking mastermind. <laughs> you knew, believe me, you this everybody you saw this coming. It's not a I can I've already spoiled the best part of the movie, which is the baby being thrown. Because when that happens, you're just like, what the fuck? And your mind explodes. When you see you see this happen in a film, a film produced by Amazon. That kind of gives it a little leeway, but also, hey, you know, these streaming service, these other services are putting out quality films. This is so beyond quality, it blows my mind. All this ludicrous stuff I've said, I recommend watching this movie because it is so fucking crazy and off the wall. It's 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 a it's a terrible it's it's not hard ticket to Hawaii or uh, Deadly Prey level bad good, but it's worth watching once, knowing that this is fucking ludicrous. And you know, get a couple of drinks in, get two whiskeys deep, smoke some stuff, do whatever you need to do. Watch it. You'll you'll have a good time watching it once, laughing at how terrible and how ridiculous this movie is. This is. And it's not because of what, you know, oh, you're, you're saying this because a woman's doing it. No. Atomic Blonde, she does half the shit in this movie except throw an infant, and it fucking works because you got good direction, good writing, good acting. I do think the actors in this know what kind of movie they're in. I'll give them that. Hmm. But this movie is fucking awful. It is, <laughs> I mean, excuse me. It's, it's so bad. Uh, there is some good here. Like, I don't, uh, I mean, Stanley Tucci read this. Stanley Tucci is a fantastic actor. He read this script and thought, I'm going to, I want to be in this movie. Yeah. So I think he knew how ludicrous it is. Now, look, if you want a good movie, watch Atomic Blonde. One of my favorite movies of the past decade. When did it come out? 2017? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Atomic Blonde to me is as good as any of the John Wicks. I'd say John Wick 2, Atomic Blonde, John Wick, John Wick 3. Love the Atomic Blonde. Everything about that movie is amazing. You know, so, oh, this, this bloke's hating this movie because it's got a female lead. A lot of people, you know, that's what people want to call out. When I, I don't like 184. <laughs> well, you don't like female-led superhero movies. No, that's not the case. I just see the movie. I didn't like the movie. Because I hate the fact, you know, ex- me as a white male having to just explain my reasoning why I don't like a movie, not because of, <laughs> what's, the, what's the word, a chauvinistic ideals or anything like that. You know, that's that's low on the totem pole. I understand that because I'm not a minority that has to fight for their rights and voting rights. And, you know, I don't have to fear being shot by cops. OK, I understand my compl- my pseudo complaint, you know, over. You know, I'm joking is what I'm getting at. I know I, I it's no reason to complain. But just to clarify, because that's a, my biggest pet peeve in, in the world is being misunderstood. My point of view being misrepresented. So. Jolt is not a bad movie because it was directed by a woman and stars a woman. It's a bad movie because it's fucking ludicrous and written by some dude. And it is, you know, I, I, I honestly, I blame the writer mostly because this, I, I'm serious. I'm watching this like this movie is trying to be quote unquote woke. It's trying to do this heavy handedly. So that's why, seriously, I'm watching it. I, I, I'm constantly sitting here thinking this has to be a, a man my age who thinks they're fucking woke like demeaning women and by doing this movie in such a stupid way. It's garbage. Ugh. However, I recommend it. That's the punchline. Watch Jolt. <laughs> Don't watch it without a drink in your hand. Like I did. <laughs> you will enjoy it, but you will get you will get your money's worth out of it, knowing what it is, 
and watching it inebriated. I promise. What's the worst way to spend a night? That movie or Snake Eyes? Oh, worse is Snake Eyes. Okay. Now, if it, now honestly, if you don't give a shit about GI Joe, you might like Snake Eyes more, maybe, because it, Snake Eyes doesn't work for me because. Snake Eyes is one of every – at some point in your life, if you grew up in the 80s and watched G.I. Joe, there is a point in your life where Snake Eyes is the coolest fucking character in the world. And, you know, he's cool because he doesn't talk. He wears all black. He's got a fucking bad guy Uzi, two of them, and a fucking sword. And he doesn't talk. And his figure comes with a fucking wolf. This dude is fucking awesome. He doesn't say a fucking word. It doesn't matter what color he is because you don't even know that unless you read the comics. He's a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white dude, <laughs> you know. But he was—I think he was—he was an orphan in Japan, and he became friends with Storm Shadow and the same master. And that's why, you know, Snake Eyes is a badass because he grew up like he was born to be a warrior. He didn't enlist in the military at 18 and become a Green Beret. I mean, a Green Beret or a Navy SEAL. No, he—he he was living that life before that. Then had all that training on top of it. So that's why Snake Eyes is a badass, not because he's some street hustler who learned you know I, I can't stand that trope you know the same thing with like, like i'm reading uh in a in the latest issue of spider woman she fights her brother who has no training but jessica drew spider woman is a fucking badass who like was trained like for years how to fight and gets her ass kicked in five minutes by new villains i hate that in fucking comic books i hate it in fucking movies if i oh trey all of a sudden becomes i have the power to uh you know, to punch really fucking hard. I'm going to go kick Brock Lesnar's ass. That's not how it fucking works. I could punch like a freight train, but he would probably, he would take me out before I could even throw a punch. That's the, that's my point. Like I can't stand that trope and move in anything. Like, you know, that's why usually origin movies with superheroes are usually really, really good or they're terrible because this is my origin. And all of a sudden I can, I'm a badass. Boom! I'm I, I got these powers. I'm awesome. I'm gonna kick your ass. Kick ass. Movie's perfect example of not doing that. Oh, I don't feel pain, but yeah, and he gets his ass kicked. You know that becomes his power. You know they. Uh, I think Mark Millar is the writer of that, creator of that. I think you know, breath of fresh air in the superhero genre. It works. I you know th- we are. This is the 2020s. You know, movies have been around for a hundred years. Some of these tropes. Are way are you got get over it? Write it better. Work around it. That's what's that's what makes a good movie. That's what makes a movie sui- the Suicide Squad with James Gunn writing and directing by doing things different, inventively at least, uh, in different ways, visually and also sto- narratively, as opposed to Wonder Woman eighty four, for example, or uh, uh, Black Widow. For you know, super disappointed. Black you know Black Widow was the female Snake Eyes should be. And that character is just fucking wasted because they made, you know, it's the Black Widow movie, but it's it's all about, hey, here's Yelena because ScarJo's out. And we know ScarJo's out now for sure mm-hmm. because a uh, little thing called a lawsuit. But uh, we did get an email uh, a couple weeks ago. We were talking about uh, how our good friend UK Pete, uh, his email cl- uh, sign off was sent from my portable communications device. And I was like, how does it, you know, is that an iPhone or whatever? And I was educated on that. I've since changed mine. I totally copied you, Pete. So mine now says sent from my portable communications device because I think that sounds like fucking Star Trek. <laughs> but uh, Peter sent us another email. He says, uh, I have an iPhone 8 currently. And like Jesse said, I changed the default signature as that was boring as fuck. Thank you again, Pete, for bringing me into the 21st, 22nd century, wherever, whichever <laughs> one we're fucking in. 
And you too, Jesse. Uh, another great podcast again. Like you, I thought Fisher Stevens was Indian in origin. See, the dude's, you know, I mean, you really can't give him an award for the performance, but he fooled people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, again, tongue, I, a visual joke on an audio podcast. My tongue is in my cheek. Uh, the things we get away with in the 80s, huh? Imagine the fury if that were to happen today. Yep, absolutely. God, I miss the 80s. Take care, gents. Lovely to have you back in our lives. Cheers for now, Pete. Sent from my personal, my portable communications device. So thanks again for the email, Pete. Appreciate it. And again, remember everybody, Pete re-listened to every one of our episodes during the one-year absence. So he is he's the real MVP. MVP uh, too, because UK Pete. Peter Gray. That's, yep. you know, you know, Peter, like that's a that's a good spy name. You know, mm. the Pete the Peter Gray mystery or detective name, like. You know, that you need you think about that. <laughs> you know, if you need to be, you know, Peter Gray could be like uh, somebody working with James Bond. Bond, this is Agent Gray. Oh, name's Pete. Nice to meet you. I don't know why I think you'd have a Cockney accent, Pete, because I don't think I'm pretty sure you're not from there. <laughs> oh, oi, oi, oh, Pete Gray. Just teasing you, Pete. <laughs> really over the top. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I think, uh, I think Cockney is the only English accent I, I, I can, I think, uh, I think I could tell a Liverpool, a Liverpoolian accent because that's how the Beatles, some of the Beatles talk, as opposed to a London accent and then a Cockney accent. I think I want a bit, eh? I think so. Again, I know, like you know, we go to England, go to UK, and it's uh, you know, they they can tell like, oh, you're from here, you're from here. Like I'm like, you all sound English. It's all English to me. <laughs> Whereas you come to the US, like, oh, you're from Boston. Oh, you're from California. You're from Minnesota. Oh, you're from. You're from Virginia. No, I'm from I'm from Texas. You know, so it's you, you know being a foreigner to England. You know, you, you don't think about that, but it's it's ob- it's so obvious that there are regional dialects everywhere. But you know, Americans are very introcentric to where you know. Oh, that's happened in Lithuania. We don't give a shit. You know, unless you're going to use it for political gain for oil <laughs> or whatever. So there we go. I think we did it. Whew. I think where are we at, Jesse? About three hours. <laughs> I think uh, it's right we're about at two hours. Oh hell yeah, we did it! We fucking did it! <laughs> Could have done it last week, <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, don't forget everybody. If you don't agree with my bullshit uh, and you want to uh, leave a you know send a reply like uh, UK Pete did, uh, 80s revisited at gmail.com. No apostrophe eight zero s revisited on Facebook. 80s revisited podcast on Instagram. 80s. 80s underscore revisited and on Twitter at 80s revisited again. There's no apostrophe s in any of that for you know who who needs to bring punctuation into it, you know numbers and letters. We don't need to you know bring our passcode into the 2000s, 2020s. We'll keep it in the 90s. You know a letter and a number, no caps. You know that's where you can find us. So shout outs. Our good friend John Foreman is. I mean every fucking day it seems he's got a new video out on his Cajun Toy Review. Give him a like and a, a watch. Uh, and then, of course, the Bamcast with Ben, uh, Ben, uh, the Doom Slayer Wyatt. Uh, ben, I gotta say, I saw the uh, highlights you posted for your match. Unfortunately, Doom Slayer didn't pull off the win, but dude, I, uh, I was in. I was like, "Damn, you taking some bumps, bro?" Like seriously, I'd be dead. Like honestly, like I was, I was, I was just like, "Jesus, man, he look, like you look good in the ring, dude. Keep it up, man. Keep it up." I'm waiting for Doom Slayer. Look, here's my idea for your storyline. You know, because you're, you know. Then we're, you know, I'm sure people that listen to, to watch TCW either already know this or they probably don't listen to this podcast except Ben. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, he's also a ref. He started as a ref. 
You need to have a feud with somebody where you're refing his matches. And then he gets the title shot, but he's also feuding with Doomslayer. You get to the title shot. He's about to win the title. You're refing. One, two. <gasps> you don't do it. You stand back, put on the Doomslayer mask, and finish him off. And you know that stone cold stare. Get that chain. There's the feud for the next pay-per-view, buddy. I'm telling you. That's what I want to see in TCW. 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 <laughs> that's, my, that's just my thought. <laughs> So, but no, seriously, like, honestly, then like, and you're killing it, dude. I saw, just, just that short little, I didn't see the whole match. I saw the clip that was on Facebook. Also, uh, like Tasmanian TCW, Tasmanian championship wrestling. I think it's on YouTube. They have clips on YouTube too. Give them a like. If you like wrestling, you know, independent wrestling, you know, th- these guys have the fire and the fur fur, you know, to make it, you know, it's like college football, you know, these kids are playing to get noticed and to, and because they love it. You know, you know, they they doing it for the money. This is this is the wrestling level of wrestling where it's it's for the love and the enjoyment of it. So give them a like and watch everything you can to take. Uh, you know, there he is right there. <laughs> so awesome. Uh, but yeah, good job, Ben. Keep it up. Next week, I'll post on Instagram what the movie is. I'm I'm not sure what it's going to be just yet. But hey, we'll be back most likely. Well, there's a there's a chance it might be another week off. Uh, with some filming conflicts, maybe. If there is, I'll let you know. I'll let you know the movie. Uh, but regardless, we will for sure be back. Uh, so until then, you know, enjoy some fresh melange spice from Arrakis. Mm. <sighs> some good shit, man. You know what? I, after this, because here's the great, here's the cool, in California, because marijuana is, I'm sure it's in Colorado and any port it's legal too. I can go on my phone and I can have weed. I can have my drug dealer come to my house. <laughs> and it's perfectly legal. Right. I there's bound to be a, a weed variety that's referenced to Dune. <laughs> so oh, I'm gonna see if there is. It has to be a spice melange or something. There has to be. I don't know if these local places sell it because I mean everybody's in the weed business these days. That's where half mm-hmm. of my my uh, retirement is in weed stocks right now because I'm I'm waiting for that national legalization to retire. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we'll be back next week, everybody. So uh, enjoy. You know, stay safe. Get the shot. Now that it's been FDA approved, a lot of you people don't have a leg to fucking stand on. You know, <laughs> do something. You know, this is for everybody. You want to get back to normal? If you don't, if you don't agree with me, that's fine. I have no problem. You know, oh, you know, you're taking our freedoms. I'm going to get on that landmine one more time as we close out. Look, everybody, this is a public health issue. I'm, I'm appealing to your reason. You know, for your quote unquote freedom, sometimes you have to do things for the good of the whole. Because imagine this was a, if this was zombies. You, people wonder, like, they would never get to that level. My dad, you know, he's a boomer. <laughs> the world would never get to that point. I'm like, dude, have you seen this pandemic? This is proof mm-hmm. positive that if zombies were real, we are fucked. We are fucked so hard. There is no survivors. There's just the people in bunkers for eternity because of zombie outbreak. That's how, that's, that, this proves that. So, again, I respect your, your belief. I respect your opinion. But let's, be, let's, let's talk real here. Get the fucking shot so we can get back to normal. If you were born in the 80s, you got like 10 vaccines. We all got them. Yep. You got FDA approval. What, what, what leg are you standing on now? You know, don't you want the free Wi-Fi? Come fucking on, man. It works great. <laughs> Seriously. Anyway, again, if you disagree, I respect your opinion, but, you know, I think you're wrong. I truly believe, you know, in my personal opinion, get the fucking shot. I, you know. Don't be scared of it. Oh, you're living your fear wearing your mask. Fuck you. I'm saving your life, you fucking bastard. Yep. Not talking to anybody on that. I'm talking. That was me talking to people on Facebook on the WAFB local Baton Rouge News Channel comment section. <laughs> those people are fucking idiots.
So uh, anybody listens to this podcast. don't even live here. <laughs> I know. But it's still on my feed and I get to see, you know, all that shit. Anyway, let me get off this landmine. Again, everybody, stay safe. You know, this is, you know, we're, we're, we, we can get out of this. Just come on, do what's right. Uh, let, you know, history will look kind upon you, I promise, when we're all reptilians because of this and we all, our final mutations take place. So come on, you, don't you want to be one of the cool kids? But anyway, everybody, for real, Jesse, take care, stay safe, talk to you next week. Until then, I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! Arrakis. Dune. Desert planet. Never a drop of rain. this show and more on facebook.com slash awesome pods and follow us on twitter at awesome pods